Renoso Monthly. We're back with episode three, uh, the Saturday Night's Main Event, episode 11 from May 1987, and the Saturday Night Main Event, episode 12 from October 1987. We have a few first-timers to the uh, Cronoso gang. Steve Bennett and Marcus Fuller jump in for their thoughts on this 1987 era. All right, let's not waste any more time, guys. Mike Cook, take us away with the landscape and history of this arena. Hello, the North-South Connection. This is Mike Cook here talking about the state of the WWF after WrestleMania 3. And unfortunately, there isn't much to say because for the most part, the WWF all the way up until April 23rd was in Canada. And not much to speak of there except Hulk Hogan starting a feud with Kamala is the biggest thing to note. On April 23rd, 1987 in Worcester, Mass., a debut happened, and it was Missy Hyatt. She, debated, she debuted a little talk show called Missy's Manor. She interviewed such guests as Randy Savage, Miss Elizabeth, Bobby Heenan, and the returning Ken Patera. Um, also, Adrian Adonis and Jimmy Hart. Unfortunately, none of those made air, so Missy's Manor was never to be. Also, Hulk Hogan starts a feud with Kamala. As previously mentioned, Tempatera returned to confront Bobby Heenan, and they taped some message. They taped some matches for Primetime Wrestling Superstars and Challenge that will be air later. Also during this time, we had the rise of Brutus Beefcake as a face, and in the London, Ontario, London grounds on April 27th. Brutus Beefcake pinned Adrian Adonis, which would turn out to be Adonis' last appearance as he was fired following the match. Then we brought to April 28th, 1987, which is the taping of this Saturday night's main event that we will be talking about. And in the pre-match, Hulk Hogan and Tempatera defeated Andre the Giant and Hercules, who was subbing for Bobby Heenan, when Hogan pinned Hercules. But this all took place at the Joyce Center Athletic and Convention Center. It was a sellout of 9,345. The Joyce Center was formerly the Athletic and Convention Center, a 9,000-seat multi-purpose arena in Notre Dame, just south, just north of South Bend. The arena door opened its doors in 1968, and it's home to the University of Notre Dame Fighters basketball and volleyball teams. The arena has had some famous matches, some famous games take place, such as in 1971, the Notre Dame Irish gave UCLA its only loss of the season at this arena. Also, 1977, the Irish upset undefeated and number one ranked University of San Francisco. In 1980, the same two ranked, number one ranked DePaul. 1987, the Irish upset number one ranked North Carolina. Seems like a little trend here of beating number one teams. So right now, they are still host to the Fighting Irish basketball and volleyball teams, and that's about it. So let's get ready to roll for Saturday night's main event. What's up, North-South Connection? This is Mike Rossi with Cronoso Daily, and we're here for... Saturday Night's Main Event, which was in May 1987, not long after WrestleMania 3, 
Now, they are live from South Bend, Indiana, which is on the campus of Notre Dame University, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, now, they come to open the show with the video package that kind of runs down what's going to go on in the show. Then they come in to Vince McMahon and Jesse the Body Ventura, who just kind of do another rundown. They explain that, you know, Bobby Heenan uh, got beat up by Ken Patera earlier in the night. And, um, you know, now he's here in a neck brace, but he still will be part of the Andre Hogan function. But regardless, I am not here for that. I am here for Kamala versus Jake the Snake Roberts. So that gets started when Vince kicks it back to Mean Gene in the locker room, who's got Kamala, Kimchi, and Mr. Fuji with him. Now, Mean Gene does a pretty smart thing. He asks Fuji, why would you book this match with Jake the Snake for your new client, Kamala, because apparently Fuji just took over Kamala recently. Why would you book this match? He's obviously scared of this 15-foot Damien that Snake brings to the ring. And, you know, he says something that I thought was interesting. He starts, you know, in his face-painted look, he looks over and he says, I know the serpent. I can and I will help Kamala. And then he starts making, like, waves with his hands, like he's mimicking a snake and then he says like starts hissing He's like, this completely spooks out Kamala Kamala gets the fuck out of there Kamala the whole time was like groaning and moaning in the background anyways so he just had enough Kamala takes off he's petrified of this fucking snake right and then Kimchi starts whooping him to, to you know obviously he's pissed off that he's taken off that was the dynamic that those guys had so it was pretty interesting then Mean Gene is now alone in the back, and he says, um, Kamala, if he sees that snake get on the loose tonight, he may take off right and hightail it right back to Africa. So here we are. So now they show Kamala coming down to the ring with Kim Chi and Mr. Fuji. And then they cut to a video package of Jake the Snake Roberts, who back in February um, was jumped by the Honky Tonk Man on the snake pit. So they're going back to this story. Um, hit him pretty stiff with that guitar from behind. Um, like, really, like, didn't crack, didn't break, just drilled him on the side of the head. It clearly weren't as gimmick back then as guitars are now. Um, you could just tell these shots are a lot more vicious sounding and looking um, in some of this older stuff. Um, it's not the over-the-head hollow crack like, you know, Double J's been doing for 30 years. But anyways, um, so they're clearly going doing something with this Jake the Snake honky-tonk angle, or else they wouldn't have shown this package from three months prior. So now he's back into the promo with Mean Gene. Now he's holding Damien around his neck. Mean Gene's shaking. He's scared shitless. Um, he asks a question about Kamala, and then Jake the Snake just puts Damien's mouth in front of Gene's mouth and says, why don't you ask him? Mean Gene just had enough, ends the interview. Jake the Snake leaves. Mean Gene's still shaking, and they cut back to the ring. So Kamala's in the ring. Jake's walking down, throws the the snake directly in the ring, out of the bag. Damien is now on the loose. Kamala just takes the fuck off. He just jumps out of the ring, starts being chased by Kim Chi because he doesn't want him to take off. So the referee then forces Jake the Snake to take Damien and put him back in the bag, which he's struggling to do. He's taking quite a hell, hell of a long time. Um, and, you know, Obviously, he was doing that for a reason, because then Kamala snuck into the ring and attacked Jake the Snake from behind. He's drilling him with chops to the back. Then he Irish whips him with a kick. Jake the Snake then gets a quick comeback with a pretty good pop. You know, the crowd was behind Jake the Snake at this point. Definitely thought the snake was cool. Then Kimchi distracted the ref just long enough for Kamala to hit a throat chop, which really sideswiped 
Jake the Snake. Then Kamala is able to latch on to a bear hug, which they probably did for 30, 40 seconds or so. Then Jake is pretty resourceful. He starts stepping on Kamala's bare feet, which allowed or forced Kamala to break that bear hug. Kamala is now just running from Jake while Jake is just, you know, giving him an arm bar, stepping on his feet continuously because now he knows that's a weakness. Kamala is able to power out, though. He's just this big bastard. Kamala ends up getting a choke on Jake on the mat, then on the ropes. And then while Jake was, you know, tied into the ropes, Kamala kept doing four counts with his gigantic Ugandan foot in the throat of Jake the Snake Roberts. I uh, did this three times, all to the four count. Jake didn't really sell this very long, i got to say. <laughs> he hops right out of there. Um, they probably only had like four minutes for this match, so he wasn't really going to do a hard sell here. Like He might do it like a house show or something. But then Jake gets his punches off. Kamala was about to go down, but then Kamala, you know, he, the big thing is you can't get the big man off his feet, right? So Kamala's swaying, but then he ends up overpowering Jake again, hits with a headbutt. So now the match, you know, is at full speed. Jake's selling a lot. You know, he's getting quick sells, quick hot spots. Um, crowd's pretty good, pretty into it. Eventually, Jake um, is able to roll out of the ring, and he avoids the rest of this choking. Um, and then he, you know, very resourcefully got Kamala to chase him, because obviously Jake the Snake is in a way better condition than Kamala is. So it's going to tire out the big man, and it's going to allow him to take control. So then Jake rolls into the ring, which obviously is a lot quicker than Kamala getting back in the ring, and then that allows Jake to get full control with some stomps. Kind of a heel move, but it works. You know, Jake was always kind of that tweener. So Jake chased him. You know, once he's back in the ring, um, he's stomping him. He hits him back. He's just going back and forth with offense here. Then he goes to the second rope. He gets a flying knee off the top of the second rope. So then he goes to the pin. Fuji jumps on the on the apron, which distracts the ref. And then Kimchi comes in, and he decks Jake with that whip that he was hitting Kamala with earlier. Then Kamala hits the big splash off the rope for the W. So Kamala gets the win. Match went about 4.15 or so, 4 minutes and 15 seconds or so. I think it was 4.18 to be exact. Um, but then the whole time as they're celebrating, you know, they're keeping him away from the snake, or they're just ignoring the snake at that point. He's in the bag anyways. So that storyline's done for now of Kamala being scared of the snake. Kimchi's undressing, though which I found interesting. But then it ended up being that he was the honky-tonk man. So Jesse, the body's great. He's like, well, the honky-tonk man's always been Kim Chi. And Vince is like, no, no, idiot. It's just for tonight, obviously. Does a couple elbow drops on Jake. Then he picks him up, does the shake, rattle, and roll, and the swinging neck breaker. And then he picks up the mic and thanks the crowd for being supportive tonight because that was his gimmick. He thanked the crowd for cheering on his performance, even if they were booing him. You know, if you didn't watch this shit back then, Elias does a really bad version of that now. So it's it's kind of like that, but Honky Tonk was a little bit cooler at this point. So so that's it. Then the segment ended, and we start gearing up for the next match. So thank you for listening to Kamala versus Jake the Snake, and I'll get it over to whoever's next. Have a good night, guys. Up next, we get George the Animal Steel versus Randy Macho Man Savage with the lovely Miss Elizabeth in a lumberjack match.
We have all the Lumberjacks outside the ring to start. Vince announces that this match will end the rivalry between George and Randy. On the floor, we have Tito and the Bulldogs and their jaw jacking with the Hart Foundation and Danny Davis. Vince wonders if George even knows what a Lumberjack match is here. We cut to the back. Gene asks a very confused George about his mindset going into this match and asks if he knows and then explains the rules of a Lumberjack match to George. The animal, of course, responds with monosyllabic non-words. As George is contemplating the ramifications of this match, Gene explains that this might be the last time George will ever see the lovely Miss Elizabeth. George immediately pricks up his ears at the mention of Liz. That might be the only word he understood that came out of the mouth of Gene here. George seems upset, and he puts his head on Gene's shoulder. Gene says to the camera, this isn't right, Vince. Then he says, I do not think George understands just how brutal a lumberjack match can be. Now, Gene is really selling the fact that a lumberjack match is fucking brutal. We're technically like 15 dudes can beat the fucking living shit out of you if you're thrown outside the ring. You know, it's being thrown into a pit of gators here for George or anyone in a lumberjack match. And he's really selling the fact that George is going to possibly lose his best friend, the lovely Miss Elizabeth. We cut back to the ring. There's a few more lumberjacks milling around. Then in a cool little editing move, we shoot to the back again. Ricky Steamboat barges into the shot and is super pissed at Gene. He's like, hey, Gene, I was just talking to George over there. And it seems like you were trying to confuse him. Gene clarifies he was just trying to explain how perilous a, a lumberjack match could be. Ricky's like, hey, don't you worry about it, Gene. I'm here to take George to the ring. And this is Ricky reciprocating George, escorting him to the ring at Mania 3 and helping the dragon take home the IC title. And Ricky gives Gene a little bit of biz here and says, hey, man, chill the fuck out. Stop messing with the head of my friend. <laughs> He's not good with mental fucking exercises. He's got enough on his plate already without you getting all fucking Dr. Mindbender on his shit and freaking him the fuck out. I got his back, says Ricky. Uh, it's really sweet here. George seems to really trust and love the dragon, and it's a really great tender moment of friendship between the two men. And Gene comments about the whole situation here. He turns to the camera. He says, well, the whole thing really just hits you right here, as he points to his heart. Really setting up how... Uh, perilous this match could be for George, really setting him up as the underdog with the most to lose here. We cut to the ring again. We see Hacksaw Jim Duggan come into the ring looking like a total fucking stud in jeans and a, a cut-off black t-shirt and some nerd stomping boots and a bandana. He kind of looks like the dude from Revenge of the Nerds, uh, Donald Gibb, when he was in the movie Bloodsport. I feel like he should have dressed like this all the time. He could have been the next fucking Hogan if he dressed like a badass ass kicker. Kind of loses a little bit of his uh, cool factor when he uh, running around in his blue tights. I mean, honestly, even his demeanor and his attitude is less silly, but uh, oh well, wasn't meant to be. George runs full speed into the ring, followed by Ricky. The crowd is losing their shit. They love him. When they're in the ring, Ricky is explaining the mechanics of a lumberjack match to George. He's pantomiming to George how he has to toss dudes and not be tossed out of the ring. Cut to the back again, Randy and Gene. Gene refers to Randy as the ex-champ here, and Randy is pissed when he hears this. He says he's still the champ, and Randy forces Liz to also verbalize that he's still the champ, which of course she does. She seems extra terrified here. Uh, vengeance is mine, Randy exclaims. They're really treating it the way they're talking like this is a cage match here, really elucidating that there's no escape. You cannot get away from your opponent. Gene explains that Ricky Steamboat's going to be there, and Randy is not scared about that at all. Randy screams like a fucking maniac for Liz to get to the ring, and uh, the perennial spousal abuse here just continues to be heaped upon Liz, uh, and she uh, runs away accordingly. In the ring, Ricky's showing George how the Lumberjack match works, like I said, and Hercules Hernandez just reaches into the ring and grabs Ricky, pulls his ankle, and drags him to the ground. Looks like we're setting up Ricky's next challenger for the IC belt here. George gets really pissed when he sees his buddy getting attacked. He pulls his shirt off. He's getting amped up. George, like, puffs up his chest, and he puts his chin up like he's showboating a little here, kind of like he's a, like a gorilla in the mist. He's really puffing out his chest, too. This is when he sees Randy coming to the ring. Liz looks gorgeous as usual with a really cool sweater on. 
baby faces are staring down Savage. Liz opens the ropes for Savage to make sure she doesn't piss off the Macho Man. And we get a cool moment when Randy's in the ring, Elizabeth is on the apron, and George here is trying to communicate with Liz, but she's not really looking towards him. Uh, she seems in- insanely frightful to interact with George. And, and George kind of comes up to her and wants to talk to her as it wants, he wants to talk to his friend. But George is a nonverbal dude, and he goes to put his head on her shoulder as she's outside the ring. This is his only way to communicate with her. And this is where Randy attacks. This is when George is at his most vulnerable and Randy is merciless. Full robe, Randy attacks George, punching him, bashing on him. George retaliates, tosses Randy across the ring. Randy's still wearing his sunglasses, jumps out the ring to the bad guy side, and they ain't doing shit. Hercules, kimchi, they're just kind of milling about. They ain't trying to get him back in the ring until Tito and Ricky and the Bulldog come in and they throw Savage back in. George is punching Savage right into the fucking face. A lot of clobbering overhand shots. George gets a handful of Randy Savage's hair and throws him insanely hard into the turnbuckles. Savage tries to get the fuck out of there, and the Lumberjacks won't even let him outside the ring. They just push him back in. He can't even get away. When he gets in there, George starts biting the shit out of his face. Big elbow to the back. Randy rakes George's face and takes advantage for a second. Savage nails him with these really nice north-south elbows to the back of the neck that he always does. George cuts him off with a handful of eyeballs and a big right hand. Some more action outside as Randy's in the arms of the Hart Foundation, but the Bulldogs keep that shit from happening too long and get him back in the ring. George with a big boot and throws Randy with another huge corner throw. Randy switches up and throws George into the corner now. And George gets stuck in the ropes, uh, Andre the Giant style, here for a little bit. And Randy attacks, slams George into the corner. And you can see George is in a lot of pain here. Randy crushes George's chest and abdomen with shoulders into the corner. George is wincing in pain. But George gets a fucking sick forearm, or it's an elbow. It looks like it catches Randy right in the fucking mouth. An overhead right hand to the fucking face again. Randy is staggered. The crowd is losing their shit with this flurry of offense by George. Kicked to the gut by Savage. A lot of just... This is a very strike-heavy match. Just kicking and punching. It's a fucking brawl, you know? It's a, it's a, it's not the brawl to end it all, but it is a brawl. Randy goes to the top rope and hits a huge double axe handle on a stunned George. George takes a fucking huge bump here and flies across the ring. And then Randy throws George right towards the ground. And George splats on the ground. A really sick bump. Volkoff and the Sheik are kicking the shit out of him until Hacksaw comes and chases him off. Hacksaw is a beast right here. He's got the 2x4. He's got the tight-ass jeans, the boots. He's looking crazy. He almost fucking kills the Sheik with the 2x4. Volkov barely gets out of there alive. And uh, everyone gets out. Now we just have Bedlam. Everyone's going nuts. And they're screaming and yelling. The Macho Man's kind of like, what the fuck is going on here? He looks like he wants to take a shot at Duggan, but he does not. Uh, refs come down. Joey Moreau included. And uh, they kick Hacksaw out of this match. And we cut to a commercial. Axel's giving a big thumbs up to the crowd as we get back, and the, the Lumberjacks are booting the shit out of, out of steel as it looks like Savage had thrown them out there during the uh, commercial. As George is getting the business from the bad guy Lumberjacks, he finally clobbers Danny Davis in the fucking face to get away. Then he gets Savage, and he punches Savage in the face. Body slam Savage with a big body slam, crushing him onto the mat. A double-handed lift-up choke that George does that always looks really cool. George goes to the turnbuckle here, and in, uh, instead of making a meal out of it, he gets a handful of fucking acid-like foam turnbuckle padding and rakes Savage in the eyes with this. Uh, this should normally blind a guy like a mood of mist. It doesn't really get Savage too much. George must have just been a little off from the eyes here, but <laughs> then George just throws it at Savage. Savage is really kind of not dealing with the uh, the turnbuckle padding. Uh, it must not have an extra high doses of what normally blinds guys in it. There's even a little piece of bubble wrap. <laughs> There's even a little piece of bubble wrap in George's hand as he pushes that in the 
Savage's face. Savage kicks George in the ribs, and he's really laying into the ribs of Steel. It's kind of been what he's been working the most is the ribs and back of George. Savage gets Steel over with a big snap suplex. Steel is beat up, man. He does not look good. He drops that big knee right onto George's throat. Savage goes to throw Steel into the uh, the heel side of the ring. Luckily, luckily George evades that and gets his body at least his momentum thrown to the good guy corner. So maybe he gets a little protection, but then Hercules and Kim Chi and the Honky Tonk Man come over. So the good guys can only do so much. Tom Zink and Rick Martell are out there and they're screaming for George, trying to pump him up back into the ring. And then Savage goes to attack him and he throws Savage over. And this bump is great. Typical Savage over the top rope to the floor. And then Steamboat has Savage and he's, he's not going to lay a hand on him. He just throws him back in there for George. The ring is littered with turnbuckle debris. The good guys are smacking the mat getting the crowd amped, getting George amped. George again goes to throw Randy back over, and they both get tangled in the top rope. Randy almost gets a Kimura lockdown here on George, which was very unexpected, and they're both hanging over the top rope. George is just clobbering Savage here, and they're just tangled, and they go over the top into the arms of Steamboat. And here, Savage punches fucking Steamboat right in the face. The WrestleMania 3 rematch is on, and Steamboat chops the shit out of Savage, but then Hercules is right there, and Steamboat starts punching Hercules, and Steamboat and Hercules are going at it, the hearts are going at it with the Bulldogs, and what happens here? Well, everyone's outside that little piece of shit, Danny Davis enters the ring with the ring bell, bashes George on the back of the fucking neck, George is done, Savage sees it, gets back in the ring, climbs the ropes off the top, purple and yellow, flying through the air, brutal elbow to the throat of George, and it's one, two, three. George loses, Savage flies across the ring and beats him with the help of that Danny Davis. What is happening outside the ring is Bedlam, though. The Hearts, Volkoff, the Sheik, Davis, Martell, Hercules, Steamboat, Honky Tonk, Kim Chi, he's taking a beating here. Steamboat and Savage lock up again, and once again, Hercules comes in and cuts him off. The crowd is losing their shit watching this, and this is what you want to see in a Lumberjack match. Uh, Volkov and Sheik are choking Zink. Bulldog gets some nice shots on Danny Davis, who you know he's been wanting to do that and everyone's loving that. And then what do we get here? Jake the Snake coming out with taped ribs, holding Damien, and the heels of course are scared as shit. Everyone bails the fuck out. Honky goes over the top rope, and who's stuck in the ring? But Kim fucking Chi. <laughs> What happens here? Jake wraps the snake around the goddamn throat of Kim Chi. And then the snake wraps himself around Kim Chi. And Kim Chi could do nothing. The snake has wrapped him up real good. Kim Chi has the snake by, I'd say his throat, but I guess snakes are all throat. But he's got him like he's like Homer grabbing Bart, trying to keep his face away, trying to keep the snake's face away from his face. Kimchi barely survives. Once uh, Kimchi gets to the outside, we actually get a great shot from outside of the snake. It's kind of chasing Kimchi. It's da- it's dangling off the the mat, going to the floor to chase him the fuck out of there. It is a great image caught here by the cameraman of uh, Damien. <laughs> so man, I always like George the Animal Steel. I think he's great. If you only know him as a comedy kind of dude from this era, go check out his fucking cage match with Bruno, the shit he did with Backlund, man. I don't think he gets credit enough for being a sort of Bruiser Brody-esque character, a chic-esque character for the WWF. When you watch matches nowadays, you kind of know everything that's going to happen. You know, kind of, there's there's a lot less wildness that happens in matches. A George Steele match could end in a minute because he'll just take out a foreign object and just start stabbing a dude in the fucking throat, even if he's a good guy. So he kind of got WWF-ified, kind of like the Sheepherders did and became a kid's character once Vince came in in the mid-80s. But man, he was a wild man. I always liked him. And uh, you could talk shit about him, but you got to remember too, he is a nonverbal dude trying to communicate with people. And once again, the whole thing with Wiz is, He is trying to be this chick's friend. And there's a whole roster of manly fucking dudes out there. 
and all these guys had a chance to intercede and intervene in this in watching this poor woman in an abusive fucking marriage hulk hogan tried but why oh because he wanted a piece of ass but george is there he's just trying to save this woman but he can't express himself he's a non-verbal fucking guy so what's he gonna do it's gonna come off awkward so to me he's a goddamn hero if you want to fucking talk shit about him, you could go eat a fucking turnbuckle, man. This match is everything you could want in a lumberjack match on a Saturday night's main event from fucking 87, man. It's bedlam. It's insanity. You get tons of dudes, feuds happening in the ring, a Randy Savage elbow, turnbuckle madness, a giant snake, a kimchi almost murdered, a crowd that is voraciously behind George the Animal Steel. It's great. I enjoyed the shit out of it. My name is Rocco Martone, and I say check it out. Well, South Connection, we are back with the next episode or the next match of the May 1987 Saturday Night Main Event. I'm not alone, guys. I brought in a heavy hitter to watch this match with me. <laughs> Someone say a, a avid Bret Hart fan. Is that safe to say there, Marcus? Uh, guilty as charged. Yeah, uh, this is uh, I'm a Bret Hart guy always. And uh Heart Foundation's probably my favorite tag team, so I'm pretty pumped to be here joining you for uh, this contest. Now, that was my next question. I was like, all right, so Brett's your guy. That's 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 not a secret. Everyone who's ever listened here or been a friend with you knows that. So my next question was, is the Heart Foundation your uh, favorite tag team? And if so, you answered that. But uh, did that your Brett Hart love start with the Brett Hart Foundation? Uh, I think when I started watching wrestling, Brett was Intercontinental Champion, so all the Heart Foundation stuff I saw was, like, previous. Um, but, but going back and watching tapes as a kid, like, Heart Foundation, was, was they were just my team, man. Uh, the bright colors, uh, the pink and black attack, uh, you know, even even the heel stuff with Jimmy Hart. You know, I loved it, even, even when they were bad guys. Um, so, yeah, man. Uh, Demolition's a close second, but Heart Foundation's number one. What about you? Yeah, well, I started probably watching the same time as you. Brett was my champ, but the Rockers were my team. Okay. Kind of, you know, just the same sentiment as you. They were my favorite tag team. And then uh, uh, it just grew from there with my Shawn Michaels love. But we're not here for a Shawn versus <laughs> Brett debate. Uh, I appreciate no. Brett, and I, uh, of course, I respect all his work. And I think I've had him sixth or seventh on my GWWE. Is it a spoiler? Was he first for you? No, he wasn't. He was not okay. Bias, non-bias. All right, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this little tough. background on uh, why I chose you, or I didn't, I didn't choose you. I asked you to be on this with me. Um, I haven't done one of these in a while. And spoiler, I always did a kind of watch around, a watch along, and like I would pause and record when something caught my eye. And I'm not going to do that here, so I figured, all right, well, let's do this YouTube thing. It's hopping, Aaron. Did his thing last time and he killed it with a Hulk versus Andre WrestleMania three minute. Absolutely. Event. Just about moved me to tears. <laughs> it was really good. Yeah. So um, I figured, all right, well, let's do a match per YouTube because, you know, that's my kind of my gimmick. I do a segment with clotheslines and headlines on YouTube. I think the shorter is a little better on the YouTube. So I, let's take it. You know, if you're seeing us first here on YouTube, why don't you go check out the rest of this episode on Cronoso and, uh, Oh, I figured which, if you haven't looked at us yet, you haven't seen our beautiful faces, let's jump on here and check out this YouTube link. So that's the kind of the, the here and the why of why we're doing YouTube and simulcasting and whatnot. So 
All right, buddy, this is a 10 minutes match. Let's get after it. Beautiful. 9.29.50 if you want to jump on and listen with us. You ready, Marcus? I'm ready. All right, there we go. Bobby and Andre closing with Mean Gene. All right, thrown to Vince here. Introducing the British Bulldogs. Here we go, Bulldogs. Spoiler, Matilda's with them. Were you a Matilda guy? Um, yeah, Matilda was cool. Uh, I liked it. WrestleMania four and Matilda got a piece of the, of the weasel. That was pretty awesome. Um, did every Saturday night's main event happen in Indiana? I feel like that's a thing. <laughs> it it kind of fucking seems like it, right? <laughs> every time I put one on, they're in Indiana. Oh, the home of the fighting Irish. How y'all always in Indiana? Indiana's good though. They need, they need a little something, something. Oh, a little preview of the dragon and Hercules Hernandez coming up later. Look forward to that. We've got Hacksaw Jim Duggan looking very UWF-y. Yeah. Well, kind of looks like you with that uh, headband right there. Were you stealing Hacksaw's look? <laughs> All right, Marcus, yeah, spoiler look. here. I got, I, I'm not the cheapskate, so you know, I got an ad. Want to hit a timeout on your end for 20 seconds? Oh, uh, hell, I had to tie down. I had a, a, a time, hey, man, timeout. We're, we're, technical difficulties here. We're, not, we're just going to work right through it. You know, now, last Working year, I paid $3.80 per month for WrestleMania 38 for 12 months. They got me with that gimmick. <laughs> and when they got me with that gimmick, I didn't realize that it was with the ads. So for the whole year, oh, man. I'm stuck with the ads. All right, we're back. Hit play. Oh, I miss these graphics, man. The Heart Foundation versus the Bulldogs with the fucking graphics. That's some, that's some cool nostalgic stuff. Oh, we got Tito with them. Arriba. Oh, look at this. You know, we get an awesome, awesome little interview here, too. I like the pink background. A little nice ambiance there. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, a, it's a great look. Yes. Ooh, all pink from the Heart Foundation. I'm like always a mark now whenever I see Brett in the Heart Foundation. I want to see what he's wearing with the first game. All pink, black with some splatters. Do you have a favorite Hitman outfit? Uh, my favorite Hitman outfit is the uh, WrestleMania 8 attire versus Piper. Like the the all extremely hot pink. Uh, also, the WrestleMania 9 is very similar. It's a little bit of a... Uh, a little bit of a darker hot pink, if that makes sense. Uh, those are my two favorite bread attires. Also, the Survivor Series 96 gear against Austin with the uh, the orange trim. Um, I really like that gear a lot. Now they, they made a figure from that orange trim, right? They did, yeah. It's a uh, Survivor Series Elite. I uh, got it uh, behind me to be displayed. It's not great. Um, they should have went Ultimate Edition with it. Um, it's just kind of it's kind of hastily done. Uh, definitely deserves a lot better. And there's no jacket included, too, which really bugs me. Oh, I might be a little bit ahead of you, but it looks like Matilda's oh, taking a, a chunk out of Jimmy Hart. He gets after him a little bit here. Slobbering on the Yeah, I got so Anvil and Brett just entered the ring for me. Okay. Oh, there he goes. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I like how he ends up with the microphone there. Nice. Oh, fa beautiful face bump from Jimmy, and he sells it, too. Jimmy was a pro, underrated manager. Sure for does. Sure. sure does. Yeah. You can see you got a chunk out of it too. Nice. <laughs> what do you think he put a little uh, beef snack in his pocket right there to get the get the effect of the bite? You think? <laughs> yeah. How'd they do that? that vicious, he vicious attack. By the replay, right? Yeah, yeah. He he got a chunk, got a chunk of his leg. I mean, they had to put something in the. Come on, they're not dumb. Something, put, something falls something out of Jimmy Hart's mouth. I wonder if he had like a whistle or something. I got no idea. Uh, 
we're getting ready to get started as we've got oh david boy and the hitman getting yep, started the two, here. to me oh. even though uh davy is is the power man i really consider him more of the the technical guy of mm. the british bulldogs Oh, you can see over at the start here. We'll get into it a little bit here, but man, he just, this is beautiful chain wrestling right here. Very crisp too with Davey. Absolutely. Yeah. And he never really yeah. lost it either. No, he just got bulkier and he kind of, what do you think? Cause you, I think he's better here in ring, obviously, than he kind of is in the later stage of the nineties. Uh, what do you think it is? Just too much water weight. What do you think? Age? What do you think? Age, he, I mean, he started super young, too, so he's got a lot of miles on his body when he should probably be in his prime. He's, he's pretty beat. Uh, then he get the knee surgery in, like, 97, I think. He comes back way too soon. So I, I think that's what it is. I think he's, he's really good, even though he, he gets really huge, uh, magically puts on 20 pounds of muscle when he comes back in 1991. You a short hair guy or a long hair guy for the Bulldog? Oh man, um, I love the short hair look here, but yeah, me too. Oh man, something about the uh, either the substitute teacher look at uh, SummerSlam '94. That's a great <laughs> look where he's got the vest and the glasses, and uh, the long conditioned hair. Uh, that's a great look, and then the uh, the, the the braids, man. How, how yeah, the braids the, with uh, the beads, the the, yeah, the red, the, white, and blue bleeds to go with the Iron Jack. Yeah, immortalized nice as a Hasbro. Thing. Yep. For sure, that's a figure written all over it. Nice near fall there we missed on the on the uh, crossbody block. Oh, Danny Davis, what a what a run for him, huh? Great run is uh, is the anvil in for you? Mm -hmm. Anvil just tagged. All right. I love the change of pace here. This is why Heart Foundation is one of my favorite teams. They stay true to their dynamics. Like Brett got in there, he he wrestled with Bulldog. And then when he met his match, he goes low with the knee to the gut, and then he tags in the anvil, and now it's time to change the pace, right? It's, it's, it's time to get that third down running back in the ring and run downhill. Yeah, you need two Anvil's yards, he'll get you three. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you need five yards, he'll get you three. <laughs> so I uh, right now I'm watching 1985. I'm in the midst of – like june or whatever so i just watched their first match it was msg about mm. a month or two after wrestlemania one and uh it was actually a 20 minute draw pretty good match yeah of course from these guys you know all right so marcus towards the end of 1986 dynamite kid gets hurt in a match with morocco and orton and hurts his back it changes his career forever uh Vince keeps the belts on the Bulldogs because the Dynamite Kid refuses to drop them to anyone else besides the Hart Foundation. So they do like a three-minute swap and superstars at the beginning of this year. Um, throughout that, I think it was like a two- or three-month stint where he was hurt. Davey Boy would defend the tag team belts uh, with random partners. I was able to acquire four names on who filled in with a dynamite kid as a British bulldog and successfully defended the belts against numerous teams, including the Hart Foundation. Can you give me those four names? I'll give you a hint, baby faces to fill in yeah. with Dynamite Kid at the tail end of 1986 or even in the beginning of 1987 before they dropped them. They dropped them yeah. in the I believe early 1987 superstar, either the second or third episode of January. First name that comes to my mind is Ricky Steamboat. 
but I think he's also out injured selling the Macho Man attack, so I don't think he's won. He's not one of the four names I had. Okay. I can't confirm. He may have been. I can't confirm if you're wrong on any of these names, but the four names I have, let's see if you can guess them. Wait, uh, oof. Not to detract, uh, but you know, let's play the game. Yeah, who? Uh, let me think. Who else is is in there? Like Coco Beware seems like somebody who'd fill in, but he's also just getting started. Um, what about Junkyard Dog? Junkyard Dog. That's one. Okay. J J Y D. Another we, one. If we, you want a little hint right there, uh, run around right there. Oh, oh, oh! Uh, Tito Santana. Yeah, there's two. That's okay. Um, some other baby faces that would have been loose around the card. Um. think Orndorff is... Ah, we got a bell here. Is this we get the bell oh, right here? We got a fall. We got a fall Looks uh, by disqualification. Yep. Antics. The heels antics may pay pay, pay, pay the price earlier or later on. Dang. Could have been a plan, you think, as we go to a timeout here. Yeah. Uh, all right. Who, who are the other two? I got, I got two. All right. We got Piper. Oh, really? Piper. All right. Piper filled on a house show. I want to pause it. I got a 60 second to play. And then the other one is a wild card. Billy Jack Haynes. Billy Jerk Haynes? Yeah, and actually I he, guess that. That's an easy accessible one. He that was at a MSG show, the first MSG show of 1987. So if uh I, I definitely want to go back and check that one out. That sounds like an interesting one right there. I would take Dynamite over Billy Jack Haynes, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not even a biggest the biggest Dynamite Kid fan, but I'll take him over Billy Jerk Haynes any day. Yeah. yeah so do you prefer it's... uh Davy Boy over him over Dynamite, or you just don't? Oh, definitely. Like yeah. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Give me, give me Bulldog all day. Yeah, I liked how Bulldog was more connectable. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. to a younger, younger me for sure. Like, uh, I definitely dug like. Like, we started watching at the same time, 90, 91, 92. I definitely dug. You can hit play again. I'm back, if you will. But uh, here they are back, starting off, and they got the heat on the dynamite, let's just say. Tagged to an Anvil. But, um, yeah, I think the braids is what kind of attracted me, the muscles, the charisma, the dog, you know, Matilda. I don't know if it was still Matilda oh. or whatever. Uh, but, Winston. Uh, yeah. Winston then. So, um, yeah, that's just – I don't know. I think uh, – and uh, – my uncle, right? He lived with my grandmother growing up. He was a little younger than my mother, so he was around. And he had this, like, British book. So I'd always read my grandmother's book. And there was, like, this British pop culture book. And I don't know why I connected that to the dynamite or to the British Bulldog. So I think that's kind of low-key why I liked him, too. Yeah, definitely Sean and Bulldog were my favorites at that time. Um, with Hulk, obviously, and the Warrior. And I, I always oof. respect him, Brett. Don't jump through the screen at me. All right. That's all right. That's all right. I'm not trying to get heat with you, brother. Brett's a delicacy. Uh, as we get a, a two count off of the double team by the hearts, mm -hmm. a little modified decapitation. Dynamite is firing back. He gets the, the fist, the headbutt, some more fist flying. Oh, I love this teamwork by the hearts, though. Mm. Crowd's going nuts That's in the background. Look how well he, how terribly lit this crowd is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they haven't quite figured it out. Um, Not up to the standards of uh, of today's lit, lit crowd. They do have a spotlight gimmick going on, but uh, that's as yeah. funny as my hairline. 
I like the hearts will do like unabashed cheating right in front of the referee just yeah. so they can set up like something really sneaky later on. Mm-hmm. Hey man, they got away with it. Speaking of cheating, Bret Hart came in, got in the shot uh, on Davy. Oh, Davy boy. Hey, here you got and Anvil. Then... Speaking of that, Anvil's illegally choking him the whole time. <laughs> got away with it. There we go. Some great. unabashed cheating. Yeah. Anvil's so good. Too bad he's not wearing that hat at this time where Natty stole oh. that hat. It's a shame we never had a proper uh, Heart Foundation Hasbro's. Mm-hmm. The, little, the little hat. Yep. Oof. How tall do you think Dynamite was? 5'7"? Looks... 5'8"? Really? That's short, huh? Because he looks recognizably short. Brett's six two, six one six two. I'm guessing Dynamite's five eight to five ten. No shit. Yeah, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. It's just I guess that you know before seeing him in here. There we go. Davy Boy's coming. Hot tag. Oh, baby. hot tag. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> kick. Oof. Sticks the landing. Oh. Big back elbow, big drop kick. Finally takes the anvil down. The crowd's coming, man. Oh yeah. Big Ooh. clothesline. Yeah, <laughs> Good for I a love, near fall. I love Jimmy on the outside. Two, two, two. Kind of want uh, Bulldog to bust out that tombstone pile driver he did at WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, was he just awesome. Picked up the anvil with ease. He did. The anvil ain't no small boy. He just picked him up like he was a cruiserweight. Look at the back of Jimmy's jacket. That's a. What did I say? I saw saw it said Jimmy Hart, but it had like the WWE a, logo. Yeah, and it had like the WrestleMania kind of font where the letters connect. Yeah. Oh, that right hand right there. Big time forearms coming in hot. See the blood. I've, yeah, Dynamite busted up his nose. I'm not sure if it was a broken nose or what. Oh, oh snap. Great sell by Brett there, man. See the blood splatter on, on Brett and on Anvil's tights. Davis is, is up. <laughs> oh, what a shot. What a shot from Tito Santana. Oh, yeah. All right, here comes the kid. Let's see what we got. Oh, pick him up. The gorilla press throw, the three yeah. count, the crowd erupts. A little That's light on the falls. cover, huh? Hey, Mark, it's pretty good, a pretty entertaining match here. But hey, the Heart Foundation with the brains here. That's right, the, Jesse's going to get the crowd. Didn't, the crowd thought this was a a title change. They had to have because they're going fucking ballistic yeah, here. Had to, and it's hard to blame them too because. I think in later years they'd fix the rules that the deciding fall has to be a pinfall or submission for the titles to change hands. Um, but yeah, Heart Foundation, they, they, they sneak one out. That first fall was a disqualification, so no matter what, they were going to keep the belts in this match. I love how uh, Dynamite and Tito are pissed about the belts and Davey Boy still celebrating the victory. He must be happy <laughs> about that purse. They do get the winner's share of the purse. They got the winner's share of the purse. All right, we got Hulk here jumping here. All right, Marcus. 
pretty pretty nice match here, I would say. You know, yeah, what a great TV match. Absolutely. On a Saturday night's main event, two falls. I like the uh the bang bang. Very TV friendly there. Uh I go three and a half. I think that very, very good match. You know, I'm I'd I'd match that. Yep. Three and a half for me. Excellent TV match. Uh never never really had a chance to super settle in. It just kept everything moving and it was beautifully paced. Yeah. What else would you expect from the hitman? Crowd was into it. Work was excellent, flowed great, and I like how they booked it with the tactic at the uh, in the middle of the match in the first fall to get to the decipher. You got your big pop at the end, and the structure of the match still kept the hearts of the champions. That's right. Good booking. All right, Marcus. Well, uh, thanks for jumping on Cronoso. We're going to have to hit it. To who's next? I think the Steamboat, Steamboat uh, Hercules match is up next, right? All right. Marcus, thank you, buddy. Thank you. Hey now, Steve Bennett here from the Sportscasters podcast and the 24-inch podcast that I host with my good buddy in Kearney, New Jersey, Dave Rollins, and my little sweetheart, who is here with me today, Paula Bennett. Hey now. Hey, Paula. Hello. Paula and I are here tonight to talk about the Saturday night's main event match between the Intercontinental Champion Ricky the Dragon Steamboat against the challenger Hercules with Bobby Heenan. Now, around this time, back in 1987, I was the biggest Ricky the Dragon Steamboat fan in Buffalo. And I fell in love with wrestling right around the build for WrestleMania 2. And my grandfather, my no-no, was old at the time and he was dying I guess you could say but not like in a sad way he was just kind of towards the end of his life he was a big wrestling guy and he was really excited that I liked wrestling and I would always tell him what was going on in wrestling and I was watching superstars one day in November and I watched in horror as the macho man dropped the belt on the larynx of Ricky Steamboat. Daddy was crying in tears and he was sad. I was very sad because I thought my hero was dying. And I ran to my grandfather and I said, no, no, they're trying to kill Ricky Steamboat. They dropped the belt on his throat. And he said, who the son of a bitch? I said, Randy Savage. Oh, Randy Savage is no good. He put the maloca. He wanted to put the maloca on him. And it began, began my obsession with the feud. Ricky Steamboat versus Randy Savage. As I watched as Steamboat recovered from his throat injuries through speech therapy and other interventions. And I watched on Saturday night's main event when he returned to action to surprise the Macho Man during his title defense against Georgie Animal Steel. And I waited all day during my WrestleMania 3 party for the big match. His last opportunity. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Oh, and just no. as the match was about to start, the doorbell rang. Oh, no. Oh, no. And it was the pizza delivery. The pizza oh. came right before the Ricky Steamboat match. And all my friends 
decided to abandon the pay-per-view and go in the kitchen and eat the pizza. But not me. I stayed in front of the TV and watched the greatest wrestling match in the history of sports entertainment wrestling and still to this day go down as Ricky Steamboat pinned Randy Savage one, two, three, right in the center of the ring. The Pontiac Silverdome in front of 93,000 people to become the Intercontinental Champion of the World. And I was so happy. I was running around the house and screaming and yelling and telling my buddy, Steamboat's a champ, Steamboat's a champ. What did you call your nana? My no-no? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. There's one person that I really wanted to tell about the outcome of this match that I couldn't. And that was my no-no because he had passed away. He was no longer with us. But tell I, him the story. But tell I him. knew up in heaven he knew that Ricky Steamboat was champion. And as the Alan Parsons project played and Steamboat held the title over his head and Jesse Ventura said that he should cut it in half and share it with... George the Animal Steel, I thought of my no-no, my grandfather, and I said, we did it, Gramps. We got the belt. And tonight, that brings us to tonight, of course, Saturday night's main event. Dada? Yes, honey? Can you tell them the story how he died? My grandfather? Yeah. He got cancer, and he died. The others, about your other grandfather. Can you tell them? When I was, then he's in Florida? Yeah. No, we don't have time for that story today. Mm, can I tell him? Because I can Okay, be quickly. Liquid. Quickly. Daddy was talking to his grandpa that was going to go to... Um, Florida. Florida. And they had a little party for their birthday. And he had... He had some... He had flicking some ribs and talking about wrestling. And... When he went to Florida, he had a call, and he picked it up, and he heard that his grandpa was dead. Yeah. Rest in peace, Gramps. But what, what advice did he give me before he died? Mary, Tammy. Yeah. I met Mommy. And good thing I did. Otherwise, I'd be doing this alone, and I'd maybe be done by now. So anyway, finally tonight finally. on NBC... May 2nd, 1987, Ricky Steamboat has his first big title defense. Wow. And I remember this day, Paul, like it was yesterday. I was staying over your grandfather's house, Grandpa Ed. And whenever I was at my dad's house, I could stay up as late as I wanted. I mean, for one, it was Saturday. And for two, my dad was a night guy. And Saturday Night's Main Event was on, and I knew it was on, and I waited all day for Saturday Night's Main Event. All I wanted to do was watch Saturday Night's Main Event because I knew that Steamboat was wrestling, Hogan would be on, British Bulldogs were getting a title shot. It was a big, big show. That's what the show is about, Hogan. Yeah, our 24-inch podcast <laughs> is about the Hulkster. Yeah. But this isn't for 24-inch podcast. Uh. This is for the North-South Connection. Give them a shout-out. Shout-out to the North-South Connection. Connection. And... Uh, I hope that firefighter is not dead. Yeah, we had a big fire in Buffalo today. A firefighter got trapped. We're praying for him, right? Prayers to the firefighter. Yeah, I don't know if he's dead, if he's in the hospital. Like, We skipped it because Daddy wanted to watch a soccer game, but then I changed it, so we had to watch it on a different TV. It was... Yeah, great story, it baby. It was nonsense. Okay. So anyway, I waited all day for Saturday Night's main event to come on so I could watch it. And I set the tape, and I sat down on the couch, and I got through about 
two and a half minutes of the Kamala match, and I fell asleep. I couldn't do it. I fell asleep on the couch, but I woke up the next day all excited to watch what I recorded. And finally, Steamboat, who makes a few appearances on this show, Paula. First of all, he was one of the Lumberjacks in the Lumberjack match. Yeah, and he does a promo before his match. And he did a promo before the Lumberjack match. He's kind of all over the show. He's kind of all over this show. And finally, it's his turn to wrestle. And he comes out with the belt. And he kind of gets his ass kicked. And it's a little disappointing because I wanted them. Well, then I didn't know this. But in retrospect, talking about it as an adult, I wish they would have shown him as a little bit of a stronger champion. Now, I don't know for sure either way if at this point they knew he was not going to be champion for much longer because he was going to take time for the birth of his son and leave the promotion for a time being, and they were going to have to take the belt off him. I don't know if they knew that yet. Uh, But, of course, then I didn't. And um, I just wanted him to have a great night. I wanted him to have a good title defense. I wanted him to be strong, and I wanted him to beat the crap out of Hercules because Hercules, you know, yeah, he didn't win his match at WrestleMania three, and he cheated. He had a hit. Billy Jerk Haynes with a with a chain to stay alive in that match. And uh I just didn't didn't see why he got the chance here, but he did. President Jack Tunney made one of his awful decisions that he was known for. Gives him the chance. And uh, you know, Steamboat just never fired that night, it didn't feel like. He was just off on the wrong foot, it felt like all night long. And he was really struggling. And it was a real disappointment because I just wanted the best for him. And I wanted him to have a great night and to show out and to do his thing. And and he didn't quite do it tonight. Uh, and then there's this other part of this match that drives me nuts. And it's Randy Savage and his involvement in it. Uh, right from the very beginning, Savage is shown in a little pop-up box talking about how he wants to be the one to take the belt for Steamboat. And he's rooting for Steamboat that night, not because he likes Steamboat, but because he wants Steamboat to get the belt back. And I didn't want him anywhere near that ring because I knew to deep down what a scumbag he is, what a scumbag he was. I knew that the second he had a chance to do some damage to Steamboat, he would. I knew what the kind of character he was. I never fell for the good guy, Randy Savage, that we'd see the next year or two. I always knew that he would turn his back on Hulk Hogan just like he did. I always knew he'd be the reason the Mega Powers would explode because I knew deep down the guy was the kind of guy who could jump from the top rope and try to kill a guy. Strictly for the reason that he was trying to to take his title from him. And he's all through the match. He's talking. He comes in to the ring. He causes interference. He gets involved. And just about when Steamboat starts to really turn the offense out and starts to look good, Hercules does what he always does. He cheats and he gets the chain. And he hits Steamboat with the chain. And, and he knocks him out. And he's choking Steamboat with the chain. And the whole crowd is cheering on Randy Savage to help Steamboat run in, help him. I knew he wouldn't. Because, again, I knew deep down what kind of person Hercules was, what kind of giant, or Macho Man Savage was. I knew what kind of giant piece of crap he was. And I knew he wasn't going to help Steamboat, and he didn't. Instead, he went to the top rope and dropped the elbow on Steamboat. And thus ended not the best night for Ricky. He wins by disqualification at 642. He keeps the Intercontinental Championship, but he takes a beating from the chain, Hercules and Bobby Heenan, 
And then he takes an elbow to the face from the macho man, that no good, dirty, attempted murderer. And then there's a sad postscript to this, Paul. One month later, one month to the day, June 2nd, 1987, Ricky Steamboat wrestled at the Buffalo Memorial Auditorium. And I was there to watch his title defense against the honky-tonk man. A guy I knew Steamboat would beat. I knew he'd beat him. But sadly, he didn't. And he lost the belt one, two, three right in front of me. And I cried on my father's lap for 45 minutes. A cry of pain. I couldn't believe Steamboat lost the belt. I thought he'd have it forever. But he lost it right in front of me. And all I could do was think of my grandpa, my no-no. And say, Steamboat lost the belt. No, no. It's not fair. But my dad made me feel better. He bought me nachos and a foam finger. And I was doing great until some jerk spit green goos into Hulk Hogan's eyes. But anyway, that's our job for tonight. Paul, you got anything you want to add to this before we finish up? Well, I do have some emails from some special wrestlers. <laughs> okay, you, who, what wrestler? You got some LJNs out, huh? Who do you got? Nice Andre. Uh huh. I got Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And I got Jerk. Jerk alert. Tell everyone who it is. Macho Man. Yeah. And the one of them's got an email. We don't have a lot of time left. Remember, it's not our show. Uh, Hulk Hogan. Okay. What does Hulk want to know? He wants to know. Hold on, I got something to tell Hulk. Mm-hmm. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> We're not worthy. Wayne's World, party time, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Paul and I have been watching Wayne's World a lot lately. All right, what's Hulk's question? What will you do if there was a tornado in your country? Oh, there was a tornado in my city when I was a kid, and it ripped the roof off of the putt-putt and ruined the sign. And when my birthday party was at putt-putt, my name didn't go on the sign because the sign got blown over by the hur- by the uh, tornado, that big jerk. Daddy? Yeah. You're- Please don't joke. Yeah, there was a tornado here when I was a kid. No, there wasn't. Daddy, <sighs> Daddy, the name was on the side when you told me your birthday party. Mm. Remember? Okay, I'm joking. You caught me, Paula. Are you actually joking? Yes. Okay. Well, thanks for that great question, Hulk. Do you have any last words for the people, Paula? Why don't you tell them to listen to our show? Tell them about it real quick. Listen to their show. Listen to their show. Well, what's the name of it? Listen to the 24 podcast. Listen to the 24 podcast. Listen to my podcast. Said Hulk Hogan. <laughs> All right. We're out of here. Now they're in a fight. All right, Granoso Monthly, we're back, and it's time to wrap up the with the final segments, if you will, of the Saturday night's main event in question from May of 1987, following the tremendous pay-per-view extravaganza that was WrestleMania Three, bigger, better, better. So, we start with Mean Gene Okerlund conducting an interview at ringside. The subject of his interview is Ray Jackson from Bloodsport. You might remember Ray Jackson. He represented us uh, by preparing for the life and death fighting competition known only as the Kumite. Wait a minute, what's this? I'm getting word. It's actually 
Hacksaw Jim Duggan. But I must say, he's dressed exactly like Ray Jackson from Bloodsport. Don't believe me. Watch the episode. Put Ray Jackson from Bloodsport into your Google machine. Maybe just Ray Jackson Bloodsport. Omit the from for better results. And you'll see what I'm talking about. Hexel, why are you at ringside? Let me tell you, Mean Gene, it's as simple as red, white, and blue. I love the USA, and I hate anyone that doesn't. Jesus, Jim. I mean, you want to talk about dealing in absolutes. What if I'm indifferent about the USA? What if, what if I'm from Iceland? And the day-to-day happenings of the United States of America don't matter to me. What if I get all my goods and services from here in Iceland or perhaps another country that isn't the United States? And I certainly don't wish harm upon any citizens, but I'm indifferent to your everyday existence. Do you hate me? Hmm? Gunnar Stahls from Iceland. And sure, he was mean to my favorite hockey team, the Mighty Ducks, but at the end of the day, he said, Let's go shake their hands! Why do you hate Iceland? Anywho, Hacksaw is barred from ringside for this upcoming match, so he bought himself a ticket with his hard-earned money. And if Nikolai Volkov tries to sing, and I quote, That Russian trash! He's gonna pledge to America! There's no more singing! Alright, Hacksaw, good luck! That's it from ringside! Now, ladies and gentlemen, making their way to the ringside area with no music. Team number one, the Can-Am Connection! The Z-Man, Tom Zink, and Rick Martell, who I'm assuming is a mortal enemy of Hacksaw Jim Duggan, given his Canadian citizenship. As they enter the ring, Martell does a massive leap over the ropes, almost accidentally drop-kicking his own partner. It's tremendous! I've never seen anything like it. It's as if Rick Martel planks, you guys remember planking, while midair, somehow defying the laws of gravity. And now, ladies and gentlemen, presenting a little fun mini-segment here on Cronoso Monthly, brought to you by a Johnny C, that I'm calling Great Moments in Ironic History. Hexall Jim Duggan is shown seated at ringside. He's seated with his 2x4, making conversation with a gentleman sitting next to him who can't be more than like 20 years old, maybe. Now, the gentleman looks as if he's fearful for his own existence. Is it perhaps because he's sitting next to Hacksaw Jim Duggan, a man that's wielding a vicious and dangerous weapon? But what would this man have to possibly fear? I'm sure Hacksaw Jim Duggan believes this guy is just your good old typical American dude catching a wrestling show here at the home of the fighting Irish. However, upon some investigative journalism, I have discovered the genesis of the fear in the wrestling fan's eyes. Upon further examination, the wrestling fan seated next to Hacksaw Jim Duggan is wearing a hat. On the hat resides a single word. The word is Daiwa, D-A-I-W-A. I was confused. Could Daiwa possibly fit into the mysterious circumstances of his fear? And upon further investigatory research, I learned the meaning of Daiwa. Daiwa is a Japanese 
Fishing Company. Which means if Hacksaw Jim Duggan happens to glance north and discover the meaning of the man's hat, he could potentially be attacked and murdered at any moment by the number four seed in the Kumite, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. However, now that great moments in ironic history has concluded, let's add to some pre-recorded words from the Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov, and their manager, the Doctor of Style Slick. Slick starts by saying, America! Which just reminds me of the Eminem song, America! How many people love little Erica? Do, 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 do. I'm just playing America. You know I love you. Now, you can't deny these men their freedom of speech. We go picture in picture so we can see Sheik and Volkov enter as Slickster continues. The Slickster promises to stand with his tag team and fight for the rights of the pate. Oh, okay. He's the Beastie Boys, not Eminem. And then he adds, the communist pate. And this ends the pre-recorded video. Vince says simply, I can't believe he said that. Now it's time for all of us to rise for the singing of the CCCP National Anthem. He sings, does Nikolai. Hexall Jim Duggan stands. Then he realizes he's standing and promptly sits back down. He stands again, leaps over the barricade. The Japanese fishing fan breathes a sigh of relief. Duggan enters the ring and smashes the 2x4 into the face of Nikolai Volkov. However, Nikolai Volkov no-sells this and calmly steps through the ring ropes. <laughs> oh boy! We've got ourselves some business exposure here in 1987. Hacksaw Jim Duggan grabs the microphone. Understand one thing, you two commies. This is the land of the free and the home of the brave. USA! USA! Hmm. Well, to borrow from my friends at Green Day, Hacksaw Jim Duggan seems like a walking contradiction. Jesse the Body Ventura agrees. Well, if it's the land of the free, McMahon, how come Nikolai Volkov can't sing the national anthem of the Soviets? Jesse, I don't know. We've got to go to commercial. Stay with us. We're back, and the bell rings, and our final contest is underway. It's Nikolai, starting with Ricky Martel. Martel is slingshotted into the corner, but he leaps and does a backward roll, followed by three drop kicks and tags the Zeman, Tom Zink. Hacksaw Jim Duggan is once again seated next to the Daiwa fisherman. The dude is pretending to laugh with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, so Duggan doesn't decide to decapitate him. The Iron Sheik is in now. A double hip toss, and the Can-Ams do a nerdy dance celebration followed by a preordained high to low five in celebration of completing the double hip toss. The Z-Man, back in the match, puts his head down. A rookie mistake from the Z-Man. And the, I quote, controversial footgear of the Iron Sheik nails the Z-Man in the face. 
Gut wrench souplet and a beauty delivered by the former Olympian, the Iron Sheik. A standing souplet by the Iron Sheik. He covers but gets only two from not hooking the leg properly. The big Russian Nikolai is in now. And a double team, well within the rules of the five count. And so the K&Ms are indeed in peril. A big running boot by Nikolai, shades of Zangief. And a quick tag to the Sheikster. Sheik's in with a belly-to-belly play, displaying he is the perhaps the master of the play. Duggan watches on from ringside in whore as the Sheik makes the cover. One, two, no. Cobra twist applied by the Sheik of Iron. Hexaw Jim Duggan starts a USA chant. Jesse, the body Ventura, lets us know that the Sheik doesn't have the foot hooked properly, so the Zeman will most likely not submit. A hip toss counter by the Zeman, but the Sheik is back on top of the match with a big clothesline from Tehran. Zeman is dumped outside right in front of Hexal Jim Duggan. Martel charges into the ring. He's promptly tossed like a sack of potatoes to the outside. The Can-Am connection is looking really strong, let me tell you. Nikolai beating on the Zeman in front of Hexall Jim Duggan. Duggan has mounted the security railing like it's a voluntary co-ed. Come on, ref, this cannot be allowed. All the match participants get back legally inside the ring. Hexall Jim Duggan decides it's time to cross the line. And he enters the ring. Referee Joey Morella is trying to get Hexall out of the ring. The Sheik is distracted. Reverse crescent pin by Rick Martel. One, two, three. Oh, come on, McMahon. How can they allow that with Hacksaw Jim Duggan in the ring with a two-by-four? I agree, but nonetheless, the pinfall stands. Oh, I see. It's referee Joey Morella from WrestleMania 3. Well, that figures, McMahon. The heels attack Hacksaw, but the Can-Am connection rescues. Big USA chance. No Canada chance for the Can-Am connection. So Ricky Martel is sad. Stay with us. We'll be back. And we're back with Vince McMahon and Jesse the Body Ventura in the announced position. Holy shit. What the fuck is Jesse the Body Ventura wearing? <laughs> they wrap things up. we got to go to another commercial. Stay with us. We're back. Just to say so long from South Bend, Indiana. The home of the fighting Irish. And we roll credits which you love to see on a WWF slash E show, but we're not done here on Cronoso Monthly. Stay with us as we move on to talk about the October 3rd, 1987 Saturday Night's Main Event taking place, of course, on Mean Girls Day. It's October 3rd. Reminder to everybody out there, we are now in the month of March, which means this month, Coming to you here on the North-South Connection Podcast Network. It's time for March Fabulousness, the annual tournament hosted on my show, The Multiverse of Fabulousness, with my co-host, Keithy Langston. Last year, we talked about some of the most fabulousness moments in wrestling history that were put to war in a 32-participant tournament with only one standing. This year, we're doing something very similar with 32 of the most fabulousness characters from the deepest, darkest corners of wrestling history and obscurity. Please tune in to March Fabulousness. It's the annual tradition every March in the Multiverse of Fabulousness. You cannot afford to miss it. 
It's March Fabulousness 2, what the world has come to. And just a cheap little plug for my personal podcast feed, which you can find on any pod device by simply typing the new TNN. Three words, just like that TV channel used to tune to to have to catch Monday Night Raw after they left USA. The new TNN, where comedy-based entertainment hopefully is provided to cover and talk about wrestling, bad movies, and so much more. I'm Johnny C, but a winner is you. Yeah, Cronoso Monthly, it's Johnny D'Amato, here to preview our next installment of the Cronoso Monthly with our uh, pack of pugnacious podcasters ready to spit on the uh, great matches that uh, took place at the Hershey Park Arena on uh, September 23rd, 1987, and it aired on October 3rd, 1987. Uh, 87, of course, a classic year in WWF history. And uh, a little history of the Hershey Park Arena. It, it was originally uh, called the uh, Hershey Sports Arena, and it was built in 1936, and uh, it still stands today. Um, home of the Hershey Bears, a minor league hockey hockey team for uh, 64 years, from uh, 1938 to 2002. It, it's hosted some uh, some classic shows like In Your House 5 from uh, 1995. We're not there yet going ahead in time a little bit and then uh, going back in time it uh it hosted the classic Saturday night's main event from uh in November 1985 which was the the Halloween episode of 103185 uh it was the third uh, Saturday night's main event ever and had the classic pie eating contest with that big fat sloppy pig Lou Albano uh established himself as the uh, all-time pie eating uh, champion uh, Epic moment. Just a great show. Uh, of course, the main event, Hulk and Andre versus uh, Stud and Bundy. Uh, a lot of classic moments in this arena. On uh, March 2nd, 1962, uh, I, I, you might have heard of this, uh, even though nobody was born uh, then that's listening. Uh, Wilt Chamberlain dropped 100 on the shitty New York Knicks, even in 62 before I was born. They were getting punked out. My poor Knicks. Uh, Wilt Will, Will Chamberlain, uh, the classic 100-point uh, game. Yes, it happened in the Hershey Park Arena. And uh, go, going even further back, uh, October 13th, 1953, there was a birthday for uh, Dwight, President uh, Dwight Eisenhower, a big uh, birthday party. Uh, I guess a political thing, as he had a farm near Gettysburg. Uh, he was home there. And uh, currently it's the home of the Lebanon Valley uh, College Hockey, and it still has uh, events there. And uh, I, I've been to the uh, Hershey Park uh, Stadium, the outdoor stadium, for uh, for the stadium tour concert with the Def, Def Leppard, Motley Crue, Poison, Joan Jett. Uh, excellent. Um, it, it's a beautiful uh, little town there, uh, of course, uh, dominated by uh, Hershey and uh, uh, chocolates everywhere. Got some nice restaurants and uh, the uh, the factory there. And uh, and the, the stadium itself, it, it's great for music. It's it's both uh, awesome and uh, shit show at the same time. Uh, not, not much room getting around as far as concessions, bathrooms, uh, tight there, but... Uh, once you got in, a, a nice place for a concert. It, it was a great night this uh, past summer. On a little personal note there, uh, like like anybody gives a shit, let's get into the uh, wrestling uh, on, on this uh, day. Be, before our, uh, our matches that our, our team's going to uh, spit about, there were some dark matches. Uh, the late, great, leaping Lanny Poffo, who we just lost, uh, sadly, uh, op- opened the show with a victory over Steve Lombardi and uh, rest in power, uh, Lanny Poffo, a great entertainer and uh, 
uh, I'm not the only one. Uh, I, I got to go there because I heard uh, some other podcasts uh, pay tributes. And of course, uh, it did come up. Uh, I have the mentality of an eight-year-old. And of course, uh, the man was uh, talented enough to uh, fillet himself, uh, which is which is something that everybody talked about. So it's not just me. I'm not the only freaking creep out there. So screw you. Uh, another match uh, we saw was uh, number, uh, Scott Casey got a victory over Tiger Chung Lee. Uh, Scott Casey, a, a veteran from Texas, uh, gets a rare, rare victory here. In, in these shows, they always wanted to pump up the crowd before the, uh, the Saturday night's main event, so mostly the faces went over. Uh, a third match, uh, the Dream Team Part 2. Uh, it, wasn't a night, it wasn't quite a nightmare, as they, uh, Greg DeHama Valentine and Dino, Dino Bravo drew uh, a time limit draw with the uh, fabulous Rougeau brothers, uh, a little uh, WrestleMania 3 uh, redux there with the with uh, Bravo instead of Beefcake. And uh, also we saw uh, Don Morocco, a newly fresh uh, turned face Don Morocco, uh, beating his one-time tag team partner, Cowboy Bob Orton. And our other match was uh, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, uh, just coming in here and causing uh, havoc, uh, kicking basketballs, having people kiss his feet for money, and uh, he got the victory over Hillbilly Jim here. And uh, in October-ish, uh, uh, September-ish of this time, there was a, a WWF coming off a hot summer, the hot WrestleMania three show. Our, our, our WWF champion was Hulk Hogan, and uh, he spent the summer defending over uh, Handsome Harley Race and uh, the Macho Man Randy Savage, Kamala, and uh, Killer Khan on the house shows. Uh, that was... Uh, one of the uh, more memorable angles where, uh, where Killer Khan uh, on the snake pit blew the green mist in, in Hulk's eye and put him down to set up their matches. And uh, a couple of those household matches, you see, uh, Hulk was the only one smart enough to put his hand up at, when, when uh, Khan blew the green mist, and then he would rub it in uh, Khan's eye and then uh, get the victory with his leg drop. Uh, you know, Hulk was the only one smart enough to cover his eyes while, while Killer Khan, you know, in the buildup, was, was punking everybody else out, uh, blinding people. And of of course the uh, the illustrious Hogan, uh, you know nobody could outsmart him and out wrestle him. And our our intercontinental champion is the honky tonk man, who took it from uh, Ricky Steamboat uh, a, a couple months after uh, WrestleMania, a short title reign for for the Dragon Ricky Steamboat, uh, on that very memorable uh, wrestling superstars, which was uh, such a surprise. Uh, of, of course Steamboat had to leave to take care of some family business, so they did the uh, title change, and a uh, new champion is the Honky Tonk Man. And our tag team champion is still the uh, Hart Foundation, who's uh, had, it, had it for a while, so b before uh, WrestleMania three, when we last uh, spoke to you. And a lot of uh, personality uh, changes, uh, uh, science, scientific wrestling uh, uh, changes to our, to our superstars here. As, uh, the aforementioned uh, Don Morocco uh, turned face, uh, him and... Uh, uh, Bob Orton weren't getting along in, in uh, tag teams, and uh, and and all of a sudden uh, Morocco started to taking the cheers of the fans, and uh, also another big turn was uh, the Macho Man Randy Savage. Uh, it, it seems the uh, Honky Tonk Man got a swelled head after beating uh, Ricky Steamboat for the Intercontinental Championship, and uh, he was going around claiming that he's the Intercontinent, the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time, and uh, the Macho Man uh, didn't take too kindly to that. And all of a sudden, uh, the macho man coming to the ring started hearing the cheers of the crowd. Everybody forgot that he uh, tried to take out Ricky Steamboat's throat and uh, end his life uh, a few months earlier. 
but the macho man started becoming more gentlemanly, opening the ropes for Elizabeth and uh, taking in the cheers from the crowd as uh, he was going after the honky-tonk man, and uh, he, he challenged him for the for this big uh, this big match on, on this big main event coming up, and uh, you know the, it was a slow turn, and then eventually he uh, choked out Jimmy Hart, and he said he wanted uh, and he wanted to you know talk to the honky-tonk man, so. Macho Man, a uh, new face. Uh, and, uh, good things coming from him in this, uh, in, uh, on his quest uh, to regain the Intercontinental title. We'll see what happens there. And another uh, surprise uh, turn was uh, Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff, uh, a favorite of mine, uh, uh, came back after WrestleMania three. was kind of meandering uh, in Bobby the Brain uh, Heenan's uh, big stable there, uh, uh, taking part in uh, some of the beatdowns on uh, Ken Patera. Who uh, who turned on the brain in that classic uh, jail angle where uh, where Bobby was uh, had the great and him had the great debate and Patero was crying that Bobby didn't uh, you know break him out of jail or whatever and uh, and and eventually um, the the brain said oh you you want a, a shot at the belt and I'll give you a belt and the brain started whipping him and the brain didn't really think about that too he didn't have any backup and Patero quickly turned the table on him uh, wrapped the belt around the brain's neck and. Uh, put Bobby uh, in a neck brace for a while. But anyway, here, uh, Mr. Wonderful was uh, becoming upset. Uh, the Brain just signed uh, Rick Rude to his stable, and uh, and, and Bobby uh, put him out there uh, with, in a Craig DeGeorge uh, interview segment, and uh, he wanted uh, Mr. Wonderful to tell all the fans uh, how great that Rick Rude was and how, how much better of a body he had, how, how uh, Orndorff's body was okay, but Rude's was just a little bit better, and... Uh, Eventually, uh, Orndorff uh, wasn't having that, and uh, he fired Bobby the Brain for the second time and introduced his new manager, Oliver Humperdinck, uh, as the crowd went mild on this one. Uh, poor, poor Mr. Wonderful. Uh, excellent turn in 1985 uh, with that war with Piper, but uh, this uh, second go-round as, as a face turn, uh, a little flat. Oliver Humperdinck as the uh, face manager, uh, who left a, left a lot to be desired, as uh, the great gorilla would say. And uh, so, uh, and, and the Hart Foundation, uh, continuing their uh, tag title run, uh, over the summer retained um, the, over the British Bulldogs. The British Bulldogs got a lot of uh, rematches, and, and there were a lot of uh, cage matches and uh, house shows over the summer, but uh, the Hearts uh, held on to their belt. Uh, so that's a recap of uh, what's going on, and uh, our great uh, band of uh, misfits will uh, we'll let you know how this uh, Saturday night's main event uh, went down. Johnny D'Amato signing off. Peace. Hey there, everyone. This is Dave Hall, the Down Under Thunder, and I have the privilege of bringing you the first match on the, this 12th episode of Saturday Night's Main Event. It's the Macho Man Randy Savage versus the Honky Tonk Man or the Intercontinental title. Now, before we launch into the match, let's just let's just do some reflection for a minute. See, from the beginning of Saturday Night's main event, the show has been about developing and continuing the mythology of Hulkamania. Saturday Night's main event was based around Hulk Hogan. Everything that happened was about Hulk Hogan. But in 1987, even though Hogan was still the champ and even though he was the focus of the company, we started to see a shift. 
because in this one match, we see a complete change of direction for the company. Not, not getting rid of Hogan, but the beginning of the elevation of the Macho Man. In this one match, Randy Savage went from an upper mid-card guy to a bona fide superstar. In this one match, Randy Savage became the number two guy in the company. In this one match, Randy Savage got elevated to a whole new level of competitor in the World Wrestling Federation. And, it, and it's amazing to watch. And it's, and it's, and it's something that I've had the, I'm getting the opportunity to just bring to you right now. So how does it come about? How does Randy Savage go from former champion, mid-card, upper mid-card guy, to one of the top people in the company? Well, to understand that, we need to just cycle back a little bit. See, last time we were on Cronoso Monthly, we were looking at WrestleMania 3, and we saw that Randy Savage entered the event as the Intercontinental Champion and lost the title to Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in one of the greatest matches in WrestleMania history. If not the best, in my mind, it is, it, look, it, it's up there. Certainly one of the three best matches in my mind of all time. Uh, we can debate it. People have their opinion. That's my opinion. Following WrestleMania, Savage went on a series of rematches with Steamboat. But in June 1987, we had the upset of all upsets because on Superstars of Wrestling, the Honky Tonk Man upset Ricky the Dragon Steamboat to claim the Intercontinental title. Now, this isn't about that match, and so we're not going to get into the politics surrounding it all. But not long after that, a few weeks, in fact, the, the the celebration ceremony following that thing, you can actually see Randy Savage congratulating Honky and, 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 and being a part of the celebration as Honky claims the Intercontinental title. A few weeks later, the Honky Tonk Man began to proclaim himself to be the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time. Now, what they were doing was playing into the, the, the character of the Elvis impersonator, Elvis being the greatest. And, and so the Honky was putting out there that he was the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time. Now, it started there, but over the following weeks, it started to change and morph a little bit. We directed it at particular people. And one of those guys was Randy Savage. Now, I don't believe Randy Savage was always destined to become a, a, a good guy, a baby face after WrestleMania 3. I think that when Ricky Steamboat took his leave of absence, they looked at the roster and they realized they needed someone who could help legitimize Honky's title claim. And that man was the Macho Man. And so you actually discover that around about July 87, Savage just suddenly starts facing Honky on the house show circuit. No build-up. There was no real build-up to a face turn. Um, it really centered around Honky saying he was the greatest. And Savage just initially just taking a little bit of Humbridge to that. What are, you, what are you talking about? You're the greatest. I'm, 
you know, he'd had the title, the long, one of the longest title reigns in history to that point. So Savage certainly didn't like Honky calling himself the greatest. And so there was no straight out babyface turn in the build up to this match. Hong, um, Savage just sort of began facing Honky on the house show circuit and on, on, on TV, on superstars and on challenge and all that. Savage would start doing interviews where he was not happy with what Honky was saying. And, and so it builds to this match. And what I love about this match is that you can see that this is the making of Savage as a babyface because he goes into the match. A lot of his, a lot of his actions through the match, as I'll talk about shortly, are those of a guy who is still wrestling like a heel sometimes. But yet, due to who he's facing, due to the storyline they're presenting and due to the way they present it, Savage becomes one of the most popular guys in the company, I reckon, in the space of one match. So how does it come about? You know, the, the show starts, Honky, that we, we go to an interview backstage and Honky is just, he's doing what he's doing. I'm the greatest of all time. And, and they ask him, he's, he's going to enter the ring first. And that's because the fans want to see him. They want to see this great champion. And just as he's about to head out, he throws in a little, a little extra. He says that he's going to steal Macho Man's woman, that Elizabeth wants him and he's going to steal him. So it's just a little extra tag, I think, really adds a little something to, to Honky Tonk Man, the arrogance of him. Honky enters the ring doing honky stuff, and then we go backstage to Savage, and we get a fantastic Randy Savage interview. He talks about being in the danger zone. Oh, yeah, I'm in the danger zone. Talks about... um just what that danger zone looks like and how he's going to take it to the honky tonk man. The honky tonk man is just an imitator. And then he, he says one of the lines that I'm surprised that he didn't pop um, mean gene and make mean gene laugh out loud. And that's, he says that honky doesn't know the difference between a guitar string and a G string. And, and it's just brilliant. When, when Gene tries to play up on it, Savage says, no, this is serious. This is serious. And, and then, and, but his demeanor is still everything we'd seen of him, prior to this it, and he's in his heel run he's still the intensity's there but even just the ordering elizabeth around it's still there we're still the randy savage that we've seen and known over, over the last 18 months they go out to the ring we get one of those long lockups where they're wrestling around the ring trying to trying to get an advantage and the referee steps in between them and honky cheap shots savage early on um he sort of backs him up and and and, and, and tries to move, throw him around, but Savage bounces off the rope and, and, and lands a knee. Uh, sorry, bounces off of the rope with a clothesline, and then, and then he, he drops a knee, and, and then he, he's, he's really starting to take control. And then what we see is Savage starts choking Honky Tonk Man. And this is what I was saying before. Savage is still wrestling the way he always had. The intensity is there, but he's still breaking the rules. This is one of the early stages of what we saw happen in future years with Stone Cold Steve Austin, where the fans just loved it. It didn't matter how he wrestled. They're going to love him. And they're doing that with Savage. They're cheering the choke. He drops a knee across the throat and, and Savage backs off, but uh, Honky backs off, but Savage keeps on the attack. He's not going to, he's not going to uh, hold off because he wants to win that title. Whips Honky across the ring and drops a back elbow. And at this point outside the ring, Jimmy Hart starts stalking Liz. You see Liz backing away. And so Savage, Goes outside to intervene, and while he's sort of warning Jimmy Hart, Honky attacks him from behind, sends him back into the ring, and Savage ducks under a clothesline and lands a running elbow. 
Uh, so yeah, really, we're getting these dominant savages dominating everything. Honky tries, savage just completely turns it round, and and Honky's getting no real offense here. Savage misses with a knee drop, and Honky starts to get his offense. He drops a fist off the second rope. Now I love Honky Tonk Man's fist rope off the second rope. It's very reminiscent of Jerry Lawler's, um, and it's possibly one of the best moves in in his repertoire. It looks fantastic. Um, Honky starts playing to Liz. And this, you know, Savage then attacks him from behind. Um, and we really start to see that Savage, very much the way Savage sort of took down Steamboat in in, wrestling, in, in Superstars of Wrestling 12 months earlier. Um, he's, he's attacking him on the floor. We get the axe handle from the top rope. I really was expecting him to drop um, Honky over the guardrail, but he doesn't. Um, he's just absolutely dominating this match on assault. He rolls up Honky and Hart drags Honky Tonk's man's foot to the rope um, to break the cover. We get another cover and Hart again breaks it up. So we're really hard. He's saving Honky Tonk man. And it's surprising the ref didn't call for a DQ here. We know what, like in kayfabe circumstances, you're looking and go, why isn't the ref calling for a DQ? Hart is interfering left and right. Uh, but the ref lets it keep going. Uh, axe handle from the top. Savage is just completely dominating. And another breakup by Hart. At this point, Savage drags Jimmy Hart into the ring. And he's threatening him. And he lays him. One punch, bang, and Jimmy Hart is out. Now, at this point, I really feel that the match misses a little something. And that's the commentary of Jesse the Body. This match has got Bobby Heenan on commentary. And you really, this is when Jesse would start to, to really claim there was no need to do that. He doesn't need to beat up on a manager. What, what, what's Jimmy Hart done? And, and that, that sort of back and forth that you get with, with Jesse in, in these sort of events, it really sort of missed it. I really missed that moment. Really felt Jesse wasn't there. But Jimmy is laid out on the floor. Savage keeps up the assault and, um, and Honky bails from the ring and checks on Jimmy Hart. And at this point, the Hart Foundation, Bret Hart and Jim the Anvil, they come out to the ring and they're checking on, on Jimmy and Savage drags Honky back in the ring and he chokes him on the rope and he chokes him with a knee. He's really firing in on these rule breaker tactics. And then he punches Honky and Honky sort of staggers, falls out of the ring again. At this point, the hearts are, have picked Jimmy Hart up and they're, and they're taking him to the back and Honky helps him. And, and Vince says that Honky is saying, I'll be back in a minute. And so we go to ad break. And we come back from the ad breakers, Honky Tonk Man and the Hart Foundation are returning to the ring. But the moment Savage gets in the ring, the uh, moment Honky gets back in the ring, Savage is straight on the assault. Uh, he charges Honky into the corner and the Honky moves. And this is finally where we get the first real opportunity for Honky to, to get on the offensive. We get a backdrop by Honky. Um, but then Savage counters back. He comes in with a tackle. Now, it looks like it was a botched reverse atomic drop. But either way, we get a tackle and, a, and another two count but honky goes back he, he starts pounding away he goes for another fist drop off the ropes and misses it this time and then savage is back on the attack again elbows backdrop and honky is begging off see one of the things that really stands out in this match is, is savage is dominating the offense and that that's a trope of of a lot of honky tonk man's matches he he's always getting away as jesse would say he's lucky and like like i said before we're missing jesse's commentary he's a lucky wrestler and savage has dominated this match uh savage continues the assault he's choking honky in the corner we get another back elbow for two we get a suplex for two and savage is just moments away from winning this match um at this point, Honky rakes the eyes and sends Savage to the floor. 
and he ties the referee up in conversation. At this point, the Hearts, the Heart Foundation double team Savage on the floor. And it's brutal. They ram him into the into the um into the guardrail. They're beating on him. They roll him back into the ring and and Honky gets a very close um two very close near fall. And it's great. Honky then sets up for the shake rattle roll. So he's had very little offense. He sets up for the shake rattle the roll, but as happens against the top guys, Savage reverses it into a backdrop. We get a body slam and he's up to the top rope and he drops the elbow. The match is over. Everyone knows it. One, two, and the pin is broken up by Bret Hart jumping in the ring. And at this point, the ref calls the bell. And now we get the beatdown. Anvil comes in, Honky's up, and they are laying the beatdown on Savage. And it is just, it is, it is a massive beatdown. And they keep, the camera keeps looking to Liz. She's concerned. Honky goes and gets his guitar from the outside and, and Brett and the Anvil holding Savage by his arms. He's on his knees. He can barely stand. And Honky is lining up. He's going to take that guitar shot. He's going to hit um, Savage over the head just like he did months earlier to Jake the Snake. And as he lifts the guitar up to do it, Elizabeth jumps in front and Honky stops. And it's, it's great drama. It's fantastic. Here's Liz sacrificing herself Savage. This is one of the first times. This really, I think, helps elevate Savage because you see the love that Liz has for him. Prior to now, Savage has been that misogynistic, domineering, domestic violence sort of guy, beating up Liz, pushing around, ordering her around, domineering over her. And now we see that there's love from Liz to him. And and she's she's and in this great moment. Liz um, Honky shoves Liz aside, and it is it, this just didn't happen back then, and it really it, it, the crowd go wild. They're they're laying on. They want to see Honky get his due, and and Liz bails out of the ring and runs to the back, um, and understandably she's just been pushed down, and Honky clobbers Savage with the guitar, puts a hole in the guitar, Savage is out, and at this point the crowd start erupting because you see. Coming from the back, Liz is dragging by the arm Hulk Hogan. Now, way the way the the, the walkway is laid out, there's this bend in the walkway, so it looks like Hogan is giving this look of, "What are you doing? Why are you dragging me out? I'm not supposed to be out here. What's going on?" And as they make the turn around the corner, Savage, uh, Hogan suddenly sees that Savage is being triple teamed, and this look, wide-eyed look, goes on his face, and he ram, he's in the ring, determined, straight in the ring. The minute he's in the ring, Honky and the Heart Foundation triple team him. And it, it's brilliant. They, they are beating him, beating on him, down, down, down. Hogan finally gets to his feet and starts punching them back. But what's really good about this moment is Hogan doesn't clear the ring because as he gets to his feet and starts to mount a comeback, Savage is on his feet now. And it's Savage who clears the ring. Savage sends Jim the Anvil out of the ring. He sends Honky out of the ring. And then he gives this atomic drop to Bret Hart and sends him out of the ring. Then he offers the handshake to Hogan, guy who has been his enemy. And in fact, if you look at um, at cage match and see and see the matches before he turned face, Savage was having some world title shots against Hogan on the house show circuit. So it's a recent thing that these guys were, were enemies. Offers the handshake to Hogan. Hogan accepts it. The crowd erupts. And it's Macho Man's music that starts up, not Hogan's. You see, what we have done is we have elevated the Macho Man. Hogan, the number one guy, has come out to the rescue, but it's not him who ended up clearing the ring. It was Savage. Hogan essentially distracts the enemies 
And Savage is able to get the ascendancy. Savage is the one who clears the ring. Savage is the one who looks strong. The whole match is built around making Savage look strong. He dominated the match. He had the clear victory in hand before the breakup by Bret Hart. He's cleared the ring. He's the man. And as Hogan raises his hand in the ring, the Macho Man's music plays. And it's a symbolic moment. Not only is it the start of the mega powers, this storyline that's going to drive the company for the next 18 months, nearly two years. And I don't think they actually planned it at that point to go the way it did. But this is, this is the, they planned to elevate Savage because Hogan raised his hand. Hogan is now saying, he is my equal. I give him my endorsement. I lift him up. He brings Liz in and he lifts her hands up arms up saying these are a couple these are together and i endorse both of them but it's all built around savage savage is the one who looks strong savage is the one who looks dominant and savage's music is playing he is the one being revered he is the one being honored there's never been i've never seen prior to this point in in the company's history i've never seen a moment like that when hogan came in his elevation was Bob Backlund basically saying, you can take my spot because I'm injured in the match against the Iron Sheep. But there was never a real on-screen handover. This is an elevation. This is a lifting up the card. This is, a, in the eyes of everyone, Savage is now seen on just about equal footing to Hulk Hogan. And that had never happened before. That's what makes this match so great. This match, it might not be... Um, you know, a technical masterpiece. But that's not what Honky's about. Honky's the lucky wrestler, the begging off, the trying to survive. Savage dominates this match. In my mind, this match is a four-star match. This is for four boomerangs. You've got to come back and watch this. You've got to look at it because it's a great in-ring story, but the overall overarching story of the presentation of the post-match beatdown tells an even bigger story. And it's the start of the rise of the Macho Man. A rise that we are going to see over the next couple episodes of Cronoso Monthly is going to take him all the way to the top. And it's deserved. He earned it. And the crowd were with him. And it all started on this night. Don't ever forget it. Cronoso listeners, you have made it all the way to October of 1987. And you're here with me. My name is Jennifer Smith, along with my tag team partner, Logan Croslin. How are you how are you doing, Logan? Oh, I'm doing great tonight, Jenny. How are you doing? I'm feeling good. And when I went to watch this match today, I didn't know what I was gonna expect. <laughs> I, I try to just have an open mind um with all this older stuff. So hardly ever do I um, watch the beginning parts, you know, for this project, I usually just watch our match and mm-hmm. but something told me to start at the beginning. And when I did that, the wrestlers were all having their little promos and <laughs> Zika comes up uh, for our match where we're covering Hulk Hogan versus Zika, Zika, right? Yeah, Zika. That's okay. <laughs> and, uh, so this man with Mr. Fuji has a very uncomfortable promo in which it appears as though he eats a live chicken. Um, That's correct. <laughs> now, I watched it a few times because I'm like, 
is it alive was my question. (laughs) So it very much looked like it was. So, but he was wiggling it around. So Mm. I, I was like, surely it's not alive and he's just moving it around so it looks like it's alive which is where i landed on it i guess maybe to make myself feel better because mm-hmm. it's horrific because he rips the feathers out of its neck with his teeth like mm-hmm. it, violently it, it was horrifying <laughs> horrifying mortifying and even that and, and so i'm recovering from that mm-hmm. and it's so funny because they bring up hogan next and he's like <laughs> he no sells the eating of the live I, i'm assuming he's not seeing it as it's happening mm, they're not, not recording it together nobody told him hey sika ate a live chicken in our previous one so it's just so funny how hulk comes roaring in like right after that awkwardness and he's like eat all the chicken you want brother you're not gonna be able to eat through these 24 inch pythons dude so yeah. it was just it tripped me out hardcore before that hard kayfabe so oh and then Sika's just eating a fucking live animal alive or what it or what seemed to be a live animal alive so it's just unreal and then and then again uh i was like okay surely there'll be another segment before the match so uh fast forward to our match it's about mid-show as is a Hogan match usually is. And then they had interviews with me and Jean. One with Sika, again, with Mr. Fuji. And Mr. Fuji says that he feeds Sika raw crab, fish, and chicken every day. Um, and he just goes off in this rant as unbelievable. Like, people should watch this if they want to be grossed <laughs> out. Um, he sure goes places. And then uh, during Hogan's interview with Jean, he it's just highly coked up it looks like uh mm-hmm. he was wild looking and sweaty and his eyes were wide and so i didn't know what the hell kind of match i was getting into to be honest with you. <laughs> you have any thoughts about these interviews yeah fu- uh yeah just the, the, the fuji's insane he it doesn't insane. make any sense he uh before the fuji interview actually um Savage had gotten into a conversation with the Heart Foundation and Honky Tonk Man, and Savage actually got cracked over the head with the guitar from the Honky Tonk Man. Mm-hmm. So Hogan kind of saved him. So Fuji was super pumped that uh, Hogan had already kind of wore himself out, kind of warding those three guys off. And then he said he trained uh, Sika in his torture chamber. So I thought that right. was, uh, that was, that was kind of weird uh, to mention. But um, yeah, I said he feeds him all the kind of crazy foods. Says, oh, he loves chicken. Um, and then someone, uh, and then sometimes he bites bites it. Sometimes he eats it. And then sometimes he bites into it so hard the brains ooze out. He's, uh, he's, yeah. yeah. Wow. But, but yeah, um, and then yeah, Hogan just rambles about jungles and tribes and mm-hmm. probably something that was super offensive if I really paid attention to all the words. Probably, uh, probably wouldn't fly today. Um, but yeah, just two insane promos from two probably very coked up individuals. <laughs> now look, I don't know. I I might have seen like maybe one or two Sika matches in my life. Mm-hmm. So I, I and you know he's Roman Reigns' daddy. So mm-hmm. can't no not much of a resemblance there if I'm being mm-hmm. honest. Like definitely not. He <laughs> looks more like Solo to me. Yeah, a, a little bit for sure. Um, but yeah, it's amazing that uh, Samoan relations in the WWE has uh, 
made it quite far uh, from this point. So, uh, I mean, it, it didn't, it didn't for a little while, the head shrinkers were kind of the same character mm-hmm. uh, in like 94 um, as this, this kind of wild Samoan uh, character was. Uh, but, you know, with, I guess with the rock being, uh, I guess he was really the first that they kind of treated properly and didn't mm-hmm. make him like a savage or whatever. So, um, but yeah, that, that just it just imagine like Roman Reigns on WWE TV today, just coming on there with his uh, Japanese manager and eating a chicken on live air. <laughs> so it's just like it's insane to think about. It is. It mm-hmm. it truly is. And now I want like a podcast series about all the Samoans <laughs> mm-hmm. and wrestling. That would be interesting. I think. Yeah. That would be um, cool. Anyway, um, walk us through this match. All right. Yeah. So we have Sika versus Hulk Hogan. Um, to start the match, Vince calls Sika a consummate savage. So yeah. whatever the fuck that means. Um, <laughs> what a word. What, wh- what, mean, a, what, a, what a pair of words to put together. It's just nonsense. <laughs> but, um, I'm so glad you noted that because I yeah, had that as well. Yeah, I, I had uh, any Vince line that's like that. I gotta gotta make note of because it's just absolutely absurd and makes no sense. Um, but Seeker really brings it to Sav or not Savage Hogan early. He really takes it to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fuji even gets a cane shot in at one point. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, after kind of the early offense, Hogan knocks Seeker around, knocks him outside the ring. Um, Hogan ends up with Fuji's cane at some point, um, and they end up with two refs in the ring, and uh, they kind of have to get things under control. And while they're getting things under control, we go to commercial. Um, we go back. Um, Sika, Sika misses the charge in the corner, and Hogan goes stupidly for the splash that I've literally <laughs> never seen him go for in his entire I was like, career. what? <laughs> like, I thought that was the leg drop, and, like, that might have been it. But, like, he goes for a splash. Sika gets the knees up, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, Sika then kind of just wears them down, and he locks in the uh, dreaded Samoan titty squeeze, is what I said. Because he <laughs> basically just grabs his boob and squeezes it for like a minute, minute and a half, uh, wearing him down. Um, Hogan actually tries to get out of it uh, the first time and has uh, really no energy left. He goes for like a shoulder block and gets immediately knocked down. So mm-hmm. Sika's kind of still on offense. Um, and Sika gets him back down again at some point, goes for a pin, and then Hulk really does the Hulk up. He pushes him off, throws him off, um, and then he does the full Hulk up, Hulk up, finishes him off with the moves of Doom, the big boot, the leg drop, mm-hmm. all that good stuff, the power slam. Um, and then he gets the win. He uh, does the one, two, three. Um, and then he actually, after the match, clocks Fuji with a good one, and then he really fucks up uh, poor old Kimchi. Kim <laughs> um, he brings him in the ring and just takes him to town. So, um, yeah, it it was a pretty good match considering the people that they, uh, you know, the two guys in this match, you wouldn't think they would have a pretty good match. But, I mean, maybe two stars is probably what I would go with, go for it. It wasn't anything great, but it was it was better than I thought it would be. Um, what do you think about it? It actually was better than I thought it was going to be as well. I mean, Sika is largely like head and choke based offense, um, mm-hmm. but and he titties offense. and, and titties <laughs> pet claw. Like I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. I mean, I I hardly ever see that. But um, I thought the headbutts looked good. You mm-hmm. know, the like Sika's punches were good. The chokes. He might have went a little overboard, but it really, like, his style of fighting fits his gimmick well, Um, Mm -hmm. because he's not, like, he's not wrestling, like, the, uh, like a, it's more of of an attack, really, 
uh, he's not going to set you up for a pile driver or something like that. You know, so <laughs> it, it just, I really enjoyed his, his performance. And then also Fuji was great um, with his just little, I, he would get involved, but he wouldn't hang around, you know, he would just kind of strike where he could, you know, do something real quick, just mm-hmm. always sort of hovering around. Um, I thought they used the ring well and uh, around the ring. They did a post spot there. So it was a lot more moving around than I thought mm-hmm. there was going to be. And, you know, I, I, I knew Hogan was going to win, obviously, but I really liked him uh, stealing Fuji's cane. That mm-hmm. was good. And even, you know, with his, like you said, his moves of doom or whatever at the end, like, <laughs> usually I'm rolling my eyes by that point, but I I feel like it was a little bit more earned in this than that I'm kind of used to in a Hogan match. Um, or maybe I was just taken by the entire gimmick and all of it, but I ended up enjoying it. Nothing special, um, but I like the unhinged Samoans and um, and it was lively, except for that peck hold. So, uh, you know, if we're doing stars, uh, maybe a two and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, Fuji's pretty much, you know, the, the, bag, the bag on him is he's pretty useless on the outside. <laughs> he doesn't really do much past, he, he manages demolition. Um, and he's pretty involved with them, but at past that, he, you know, he manages like Yokozuna and mm-hmm. Crush, and he's like just completely useless, just kind of sits outside, doesn't really do anything. I mean, he's also kind of ancient at that point, so right, yes, um, he's probably, lo- lovely in this, yeah, probably couldn't do much, uh, at, at that point, but yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's very active in this match, uh, for sure, and uh, it was good to see, um. But yeah, he's completely unhinged, and so is Sika. So yeah, I, I really liked how I really liked how Hogan kind of gave at the beginning. I feel like mm-hmm. Sika really really pounced on him to start the match, so I really enjoyed that part. Um, I didn't really expect him to get too much offense, but this match uh, went about ten minutes, I'd say, or somewhere in that range. Uh, yeah, eight ten something like that. Probably probably helped by the commercial, but also yeah. Hogan. I feel like, you know, Sika got a good bit of, good bit of offense on him, so it was kind of surprising for that uh, for that uh, part of it all. But yeah, two, two, two and a half, somewhere in that range is probably the, probably about the star rating that you could give it. And then, um, I, I don't know if you made note of this, but later in the show, um, like I said, he saved Savage in a segment earlier, Hogan saved Savage in a segment earlier. Um, so we actually get like the first real meeting of the mega powers, the first oh. real mega powers interview, and they do the ridiculous, you know, handshake that where they like hover mm-hmm. their hands next to each <laughs> other and then they finally shake. Um, and one comes in from way up here and one comes in from way down there. So. <laughs> How dare you call that ridiculous? <laughs> just absurd. But I yeah. It. I mean, they just talk about how the forces of macho madness and Hulkamania are finally coming together, and it could take over the stratosphere. I think even Hogan says the ion sphere. It's oh no! So whatever the hell that is, um, <laughs> it's above yeah, the stratosphere. Yeah, but that that was at the that was kind of at the end of the show before they wrapped up and everything. But this is really the first real coming together of the mega power. So we actually kind of somewhat got involved in something that was really big. So. I guess I didn't realize that. I'm glad you pointed it out because I guess I I don't recall really the timeline. And so when there's Hogan Savage stuff, I just assume it's already, you know, Mega Powers time. So it's cool that we got to see the beginnings of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think from here they do the 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 main event. It's not Saturday's night main, main Saturday night's main event. It, they just it's 
some weird uh, thing that they do uh, every like once a year, um, and that's when they do the double ref title change. I think that'll probably be one of the next episodes of uh, Carnuso. Okay, cool. um, but uh, yeah, that that kind of leads to the whole Mega Powers thing in the tournament at WrestleMania Four. So um, we'll get into all that once we get there. But what do you got to plug tonight, Jenny? Well, I'll plug uh, Wednesdays here on the North South connection that's where you find my shows uh it might be you heard about pluto several good ones of those coming out and also a gc dub a game-changing podcast and a new one with you logan uh hopefully we can get to soon called talking docs it's the first time i've said the name of the new show so we're going to be reviewing documentaries uh that's coming up as well uh i'm on twitter at jenny position what about you all right, yeah, I, that, I'm looking forward to that doc pod uh, when we get, to re- we get to record the first one. Um, on, on the no so here, I've got the uh, Seven Months of Danger with Sean, Ed, Matt Souza, Scott Shiflett. Uh, we talk about the Dangerous Alliance and that whole storyline. We're a past halfway point on that, so we're kind of kind of down the home stretch. I think we have we record two episodes at a time, so we have like four recording sessions left. So kind of kind of getting towards the end of that one but uh, it's really really building and we, we we enjoy it uh we might not always watch the best wrestling but we always have <laughs> a fun time especially the plugs for uh dear old sweet scott shiflet uh that struggles struggles just so mightily to get through those so um but we love them um and then uh ruthlessly aggressive uh jake's kind of doing it by month he's gonna have the same person on uh all month and mm-hmm. i'm doing this first month uh leading to backlash 2003 so um that's what i got here on the no show but, sounds good uh yeah. enjoy the rest of the show thanks for listening see ya Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cronoso Monthly on the North-South Connection. My name is Keithy Langston, and we are here to watch the wonderful matchup between Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff and King Kong Bundy on Saturday night's main event, October 3rd, 1987. Uh, We start off with Mr. Wonderful already in the ring here, and it looks like we are waiting the presence of the one and only King Kong Bundy, who is being managed by Bobby the Brain Heenan. Now... Bobby the Brain Heenan and Mr. Wonderful had already split now for, I believe, the second time. So this is uh, this is Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff now being managed by Oliver Humperdinck. Uh, we cut backstage now to Mean Gene Oakland, who is going to interview the massive, eyebrowless, uh, bald King Kong Bundy. And Bobby Heenan is... Bobby Heenan actually is doing commentary on this episode of of Saturday Night's Main Event, so he's actually not going to be in the corner of King Kong Bundy. So that's going to be a very interesting matchup here. Um, We'll have to see how this plays out, because with Oliver Humperdinck kind of being the equalizer to Bobby the Brain Heenan, we'll see if uh, Oliver Humperdinck actually does anything here to contribute possibly to King Kong Bundy losing this matchup. And we'll have to see if he interferes on behalf of his charge. Uh, interestingly, Oliver Humperdinck being a face manager, probably the fa- the first face manager. I mean, if you excuse Miss Elizabeth from the conversation, uh, Oliver Humperdinck, probably the first face manager since Arnold Skoland, who the last managed uh, Bob Ackland. So really the 
first face manager in the post rock and wrestling connection is Oliver Humperdinck. Obviously brought him in. Paul Ondorf brought him in, or he was brought in to be with Paul Ondorf so that he could then transition to Bam Bam Bigelow, as we know. Um, Ondorf kind of at, towards the end of his run here with the WWE with the WWF, which is which is a shame because I think that he still had a lot to contribute to you know the company and obviously his career did continue on after this but it's Paul Wonderf kind of an interesting an interesting story of a character uh always rumored to be the possible main event opponent to Hogan at WrestleMania 3 if Andre wasn't able to go uh, I don't think that anybody really thought about that. So the match starts off when we see Orndorff now taking it to King Kong Bunny with shots, throwing his head into the turnbuckle, into the top turnbuckle here. Now uh, Orndorff with a Irish whip to Bunny. Bunny actually goes, but holds on the rope as, as Orndorff misses a drop kick here. So Bunny kind of quick on the offense now, kicks to the head, and it looks like Bunny grabbing Orndorff by the hair and giving him a throw into the top turnbuckle in the corner. So little uh, little do as you do, do as I do kind of thing. And uh, bag back elbow by Paul Orndorff and doesn't really affect Bundy at all. Bundy now chopping him and then throwing him into the middle rope, choking him on the middle rope. Referee is admonishing Bundy. Orndorff in the corner giving a couple of kicks. Again, not really phasing much of this monster. So uh, now a couple of clubbing blows to the back of Orndorff's head. Bundy now dropping him the canvas, putting a knee in the back and kind of grabbing on the uh, top rope. Now he's got his now Bundy getting his foot into Orndorff's neck, grabbing the bottom rope as well for leverage. Referee again, kind of giving him the giving the to do. Bundy throwing an Irish whip into the in Orndorff into the ropes. Orndorff at a sunset flip, trying to get Bundy over, and he does. He gets Bundy down for the one, the two, and not a three. So a little sunset flip. Interesting that Bundy, being the big man, didn't just drop to his knees and crush Orndorff on the sternum which is something that usually is kind of a uh, textbook move for a big guy. Bunny with an eye of the Irish whip and a big back elbow to Orndorff. Orndorff kind of stumbles around and falls to the mat. So a kind of fast-paced matchup here for the third match on Saturday night's main event, this, ep- this issue. Not only that, a lot happening so far on this uh, Saturday night's main event. You know, we had the Savage and Honky. We had Hogan and Sika. And now we're going into Orndorff and Bundy. So most of the people... If you're sticking around to watch this, you're thinking to yourself, you know, Bundy and Orndorff are putting on a show here for anybody that decided to stay on and watch past past Hogan and Sika for Saturday Night's Main Event. Bundy with a big elbow drop miss here. It's really telegraphed that move. And uh, Orndorff with an eye rake, a couple of punches to the to the face. Uh, Bobby Heenan going nuts on commentary. Now, Paul Orndorff raking the eyes off, the, raking Bundy's eyes on the top rope. And now Orndorff going to the second rope looking for a double axe handle. And he cut, no, it's an elbow and knocks over Bundy. The Bundy man has fallen. And now it looks like Orndorff's going to try. He goes for the Ted DiBiase fist punch to the face, to the eyes. And he gets a two count, very lazy two count by Orndorff. He didn't even hook the leg. Now it looks like Bobby Heenan's leaving. Bobby Heenan leaving the uh, announcing booth to run down to his charge, King Kong Bundy. Orndorff raking the eyes with the feet while Bundy's on the ground. Now he picks him up. Another Irish whip by Paul Orndorff. And he hits a drop kick on Big Bong Bong Bundy. King Kong Bundy. Now another two count. And Bundy with a kind of a weak kick out, but he still gets a kick out here. And now it looks like Andre the Giant is making his way down. A fully suited Andre the Giant, I might add. Making his way down to the ringside area. 
I still haven't seen Bobby Heenan. That big knee lift by Orndorff onto King Kong Bundy. So now we're going to see if the 520-pound equalizer makes a difference here. Another Bundy get hits with another drop kick by Orndorff and gets falls out of the ring now to to the side where Andre is there to give him a little coaching. Just imagine if these two men had been a tag team, you know, instead of uh, instead instead of instead of the colossal connection. Imagine if it had been Bundy and Andre. I mean, of course, I love Haku and I wouldn't want to take a title reign away from Haku, but. You talk about the Twin Towers. This would have been the this would have been the real Twin Towers, Andre and King Kong Bundy. So we're cutting to a commercial break, and of course that means since I don't have the uh, <laughs> since I don't have the free Peacock, I now have to watch a 60 second commercial commercial bit here. So while we're doing that, I think I'll give you a little bit of a an update on, or at least a little bit of a background on King Kong Bundy, and then maybe Paul Orndorff. Now, those who remember Bundy, uh, when he came prior to coming to the to the WWF, he had uh, he trained with Larry Sharp in the Monster Factory, and uh, of course he he was in World Class Championship Wrestling for a while. Uh, he was a fan. He was a friend of the Von Erich family, and I'm sure eventually he turns heel as everybody did, as everybody did in World Class. You you came in as a fan or a friend of the Von Erichs, and eventually you turned heel and became one of their enemies of the week, so to speak. Um, once he, once Bundy left the world class, he did travel a little bit, going to the AWA, the NWA, and so forth, before showing up in the WWF in 1985. Now we're back from commercial break here, and it seems that Bundy and Orndorff are just kind of circling each other. Now a nice collar elbow tie-up. Uh, <laughs> collar elbow tie-up about, I don't know, five or six minutes into this match. <laughs> So it's a, normally a starting move. It starts off. So Bundy now in the corner and Orndorff is really giving it into him, giving him the, giving him some rights in the corner. And Bundy hits an elbow to knock Paul Orndorff kind of off his feet here, throws him once again into the turnbuckle. Andre the Giant still leering in the corner here, just kind of staring at, very patiently waiting. Uh, really nice how once after like WrestleMania, after WrestleMania three, it was really nice to see that that Andre just became almost the security force for the Heenan family. Uh, Heenan has gone back now to announcing, so my guess is that he just went into the back, got Andre, and had Andre come out. So, so now Bundy once again throwing an Irish whip. Orndorff he, he puts his head down, a cardinal mistake for a ring veteran, and then all of a sudden Orndorff hits him with a kick. Now he's hitting him with lefts and rights. He King Kong Bundy falls again. Orndorff hits a short, you know, a short elbow drop here. He's going for one more, looks like one more elbow drop. I'm not sure if that's the arm that he had atrophied or not, but, uh, you know, if it is, I could guess that maybe that's not really working that well for King Kong Bundy. Orndorff once again goes to the third one too many times, and King Kong Bundy rolls out of the way, slow to get up, and, of course, Bundy right back to, right back to the fisticuffs. Nice little... Nice little uh, hip toss there and a big knee down to Paul Orndorff. And Bundy covers for the one, two, and a kick out. Kick out a one and a half. Now we hit the rest spot hold where Bundy puts a chin lock on to Orndorff. These two guys definitely huffing and puffing, sweating a lot. So they needed a little bit of a break here because <laughs> these guys are really working this quick television match for Saturday night's main event. I'll tell you, man, this is a banger of a match for 1987. 
you know, and a, and a really impressive matchup for King Kong Bundy because it really shows that he had athleticism for a big man. And one of the things I always, always appreciated as a bigger guy myself is seeing these guys get out there and actually be able to mix it up and cut or, cut it up with the rest of the guys. Cause it, you know, you could be in there with a lot lighter guys and you could either be lumbering around or you could be very agile and quick on your feet. And I think Bundy was of course the latter in that, in that case. So this reverse chin lock kind of into a sleeper hold where Bundy Bundy's getting Orndorff to with the one, two arm raise, but on when, when the referee goes for the third arm drop, it kind of a rejuvenates Mr. Wonderful. Now, I do want to say Paul Orndorff was wearing the white trunks with the one Durfol on it. Mr. One, number one Durfol. Bundy, obviously, again, in his black singlet there. Uh, but I do I did point out earlier, and I will point out again, that Bundy has no eyebrows at this point. <laughs> so, wonderful now, just punching lefts and rights. Bundy back into the corner, top, top turnbuckle corner spot again. And now it looks like another Irish whip from one corner to the other. Bundy reverses. Orndorff goes into the corner where Andre is. So it looks like Andre grabbing the tights, grabbing the trunks. Oh, and a big avalanche. A big avalanche assisted by Andre the Giant from Pundy. And that is going to do it. One, two, three. Center of the ring. Andre the Giant assisted. Avalanche smash by King Kong Bunny. And that's all she wrote. Humperdinck in the ring, arguing to no avail. And let's see if we can... Oh, we're getting a replay shot here, a slow-motion replay. Andre the Giant, a handful of trunks, and a, what a what an avalanche. And, of course, King Kong Bundy celebrating alongside with his security enforcer, if he even needed it, Andre the Giant. And it sounds like that's all she wrote from Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff versus King Kong Bundy. So I would, and that's all there is for me. So I want, would love to thank you all again. I'd like to thank you again for joining me on uh, Cronoso Monthly here for the North-South Connection. This was Saturday night's main event. Everybody, you have yourself a fabulous rest of your day. Enjoy the rest of the program and have a great night. I am Keithy Langston. Check me out on Twitter at Flounder824 for any and all shows that I appear on. Have a great evening. Hello, this is Tim Slomka on the North-South Connection Monthly Cronoso on the last match of the night for Saturday Night's Main Event from 1987's October edition. Uh, today, I get the privilege of doing the Heart Foundations versus the Young Stallions. So we come right off of King Kong Bundy and Mr. Wonderful finishing up their match. We get right to an interview with Bret Hart. Uh, here, Bret looks fat and bigger. I kind of... I kind of noted that maybe the grease and the steroids at the time were kind of making him a little bit uh, fatter than he would appear in later later times. They're going to face the Young Stallions, Jimmy Powers and Paul Roma. Uh, there's an interesting fact here that they say they, they have the music of Jimmy Hart, uh, but you really can't hear it, so I don't know if it's an overdub issue on the network, or I should say on Peacock. Hearts come out with no music. They're also missing Jimmy Hart from what happened earlier in the night on Saturday Night's Main Event, so... You know, kind of interesting that they don't have Jimmy Hart out there. So they, they talk about how this is the first time that uh, the Hart Foundation has been without Jimmy Hart in a, in a match, uh, in a title defense. So uh, we talked that they also mentioned that this is a um, uh, title match, that this is uh, after the Young Stallions have beat the Hart Foundation non-title matches. So this one's the big one for the title match. Um, so the crowd sweeting in this match is out of control. It, it, it's really annoying. Um, the fact that you see no one standing up or cheering, but yet there's just constant chatter 
going around. They also mentioned as they get started on the match, this is the third title match tonight. So pretty cool Saturday night's main event that you have three title matches on, on one. Uh, and they also mentioned that, you know, we're getting the last like 10 minutes of the, the show here. So they mentioned the parlor driver um, music video still to come. And the, 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 they also say that the uh, macho man and Hulk Hogan are going to meet. Uh, so pretty cool there. If you're kind of like thinking about turning off, you kind of got macho and Hogan meeting up in a couple minutes. Um, you know, Vince kind of relays about, you know, who could be the Hart's managers if Jimmy Hart can't do it. He kind of per- talks up like this perfect manager. Bobby Heenan, of course, thinks it's him, but it turns out to be Vince telling him it's going to be uh, Miss Elizabeth Lee purchased for the Hart. Uh, you can, again, see here, Brett, uh, you know, had the WrestleMania three match. And here, again, still, he's got these five moves of doom, side suplex, elbow off the top, a second rope. Really great, uh, you know, smooth from here. Again, He's he's so good. He's working on his psychology and probably working on his like his attitude because he's still not great in his promo uh, compared to Anvil. It seems a lot more cleaner in his promo. So match is four minutes long, so there's not a lot to kind of talk about besides kind of Brett looking strong. Uh, but we'll get to the finish where this is where the Young Stallions do a, a their finishing move, which is basically a, a uh, Irish whip into a power slam. Um, they get the one, two, and then Anvil breaks it up. This is consistent with the way WrestleMania three kind of ended with Anvil breaking up a pin. Uh, Jimmy powers won't leave the ring. So the ref goes over to do it. Anvil whacks him on top of the head. And then they, um, and they go for the, the heart attack. Uh, and the ref turns around one, two, three, you know, kind of end of the match, uh, end of the night match, classic title defense, uh, heels kind of getting over in a little trickery. They they do build it up. The hearts, the heart foundation does not need Jimmy Hart to win their title. Uh, but again, really kind of short match, um, here on, here on, uh, Saturday night Mind event, which makes sense. It's the end of the night, four, five minutes left in the show. And you kind of really want to get to that buildup of the Hogan macho, which is the big, you know, reveal of the end of the night, which is really going to set up a feud. That's all of 1988 or, uh, first a friendship and then a feud that's going to set up all of 1988 and all of 1989. So cool stuff here, you know, from a grade wise, you know, it's kind of your standard B C plus match. Uh, Brett still looks strong and the young stallions kind of a team that maybe had, had, had looked like they had some promise given they had already beat the heart foundation have kind of been thrown aside and we don't know if we'll see much of them anymore. Um, so my, like I said, my name is Tim Slavka. Uh, happy to be involved in this Chronoso Monthly and you can catch me every other Tuesday in North South Connection with JP. We're doing um, New Gen on a Mission. We're walking through Brennan Shaw and Survivor Series 92 to Brennan Shaw and Survivor Series 97 and we just dropped Royal Rumble 1994. So hope you check it out. Listen, rate, and review all the North South Connections and on we go. Thank you. Guys, and that would be it. Uh, Thank you everyone for contributing this month. Uh, It was good to hear some new voices and the usual crew crushed it as always. So, uh, the best thing about this era and the best way about this format is it's bang, bang, bang. And we're on to another big show, guys. The next one is the inaugural Survivor Series 1987. It's a big one. We've got some retribution coming up. we got some fun tag. And we have the most nostalgic formula known to man, and that is the Survivor Series. So, guys, buckle up because we've got a fun one coming up next episode. Later.